Wow. Okay. Not debatable. I'm just. Why, a four-year-old child could understand this report. Go out and find me a four-year-old child. I can't make head or tail out of it. Baravelli, you've got the brain of a four-year-old boy, and I bet he was glad to get rid of it. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to Your List Sucks Top 100 Seeds 2022. We're down to the 20s. Going to crack the top 20 today. Uh, We're getting back into it. So far, uh, the rankings have kind of been a little predictable. Uh, Everybody's kind of set in the spot they are. But this is your chance, guys. These last two episodes weighed a lot more heavily. Uh, than everything else. So this is your opportunity to jockey for position, and hopefully you do do so because this show needs a little bit of drama. But speaking of drama, Jack Pinchuk, Jack, you've yeah. been consistently in second place uh, for most of this most of the series so far. Um, yeah. Do you think uh, you've been drafted on Cody? Do you think you're going to be able to pass him this week or next? I mean. I doubt it. Uh, you and Cody are are very uh, in tune with your movie taste most, most of the time, and uh, it's the top 20, so I feel like there's going to be a bit of overlap there for taste-wise. But no, I, I think I'll do fine. Uh, I'm very excited to talk about a lot of these scenes. Uh, we'll see how it goes, I guess. All right. Uh, now, the man who has finished in fir- first place through uh, most of the series... Cody, you feel comfortable at this point, or do you feel that uh, you might have to turn things up a notch to uh, to maintain that position from these three other hungry participants right now? Okay, there are one possible hungry participant, but he's checked out weeks ago, and he also has two Lord of the Rings scenes coming up, so I guarantee to pass him there. Listen, I'm so confident I'm going to use my time. Listen, we all follow somebody on Letterboxd. His name is Caleb Coho. Someone has to stop him. Someone has to. There is no possible way that he has seen Finding Nemo 12,000 times in the month alone. Listen, we all, people that have children in this community, all put on a movie for the kid. I don't log a movie every time my kid watches a movie in my house. It doesn't happen. And his reviews are trash. He's ruining the timeline. He's about to get blocked on there. I want somebody to reach out to a wellness check, find something out for him, because he has watched Finding Nemo and Monsters, Inc. upwards of, like, 12 times this year alone, and it's been, like, in the last two months. Kingsman, do something about your boy. I don't know what's happening, but you, he used to just change his hair from time to time. Now he's ruining Letterbox for me, and I can't have What's the nice and name? And what's this review? What is this? Re- yeah, what is this review? Can somebody explain? Yeah. Oh, this is a nice mean? name. I don't get it. Boatman, can you help us out? I'm willing to take time away from the show because I'm the 28th time. Apparently, it's a stupid inside joke between he and his friends. And I don't even know if this friend follows him on Letterboxd. Are they on Letterboxd? <laughs> I don't know. I was the question. Well, let me tell you. We all thought he knocked somebody up. That's why we thought he was posting that. (laughs) Apparently, that didn't happen. 
But that's that's what he that is literal. He's gonna run out of names in Monsters Inc. He's gonna run out. There's the it's, oh, it makes no sense. I will go back into my corner. Thank you. They have a bunch of nice names. I have to admit, like from his reviews, <laughs> that's, that's so weird. Special guest Caleb Boatman behind the scenes. Thank you for being here tonight, Caleb. Uh, they say there's no such thing as a wrong opinion. Let me introduce the man who proves that statement absolutely false. Jake Marangoni. Wow. Jake, wow. how are you going to do yeah. this week, these last couple weeks? Are we going to see a big surge? Are you going to turn things around? Have you gotten Spider-Man and Hulk and Jackass out of your system? Are we going to start well, to see like the real seeds at this point? Spoiler alert, there are no more Hulk scenes. That's my spoiler. There are no more Hulk scenes. I hope everyone's happy with that. Um, I've got plenty of Spider-Man scenes. Everybody knows this. I don't need to say anything else. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I think I did well last week. You know, I had some real favorites of mine. But I had some, I, I think you would admit I had some good quality scenes in my uh, my, my 20 to my 21 to 30. But we'll see how this goes this way. I think this honestly might be better. We'll see. And if you didn't watch the end of the show last week, I figured Jake out. It's a That's... bit. It's totally a bit. <laughs> this is a character he's playing. No one could love the Hulk as much as Jake honestly pretends to. So this is a character he's playing, which is great for me because now I realize I can be as mean as I want to Jake when we're talking about these movies. <laughs> wow. Because wow, I'm not being that's... mean to my friend Jake, who I love and respect. I'm being mean to this character he's created, which really frees me up in the next couple of episodes. So it's going to be a good I'm time. so into character. I bought Hulk on 4K the other week. You're committed. I love it. Like I said, you're Andy Kaufman. Scott, you've been in an interesting position. Like You haven't been at the bottom, but you haven't been at the top much. Um, but again, like I said, these this, these are the weeks where you make up that ground. Are you going to make up that ground this week? Um, yeah, probably not. I kind of feel the same way as Jack that Cody's probably got this unlocked for the last couple weeks. I'll be happy with second. Honestly, it started out a little rough with getting third a lot, but I've I've picked it up a little bit. One one week, so I'm I'm content. I didn't come into this thinking I was going to win the whole thing, to be honest. All right, well, let's get started. Uh, we're going to do it like normal YLS, a uh, little different. The bottom three, um, we're going to do it just me and the person talking. But if anybody else has something they really want to say, we're going to talk about it. Um, but let's, you know, kind of keep that on pace. We've already talked to her this quarter after already. Jeez. Okay, uh, Jack, let's start you off. Bottom three, 23 team. All right, uh, my number 20 is The Border from Sicario. Uh, my number 19 is Battle of the Heroes or Obi-Wan versus Anakin from uh, Star Wars Episode 3. Uh, and my uh -oh. good afternoon, good evening, and good night from the Truman Show. Okay. Uh, Jack, you're, we're losing you, buddy. Can you hear me? Yeah, he's frozen for yeah. us. I'm definitely not losing that. Look at that night beat. What a gem. This is going great. Not the best. We just skip him and then come back when he. Yeah, yeah. What uh, we'll do is, um, Cody, let's do your bottom three and then we'll come okay. back. Okay. Um, uh, so my number 20 is uh, The Sponge is Dry, The Green Mile. 
my 19 is the defense is wrong. Uh, my cousin Vinny. And now this 18 before we pull it up. Before we pull up 18. There's been a problem on this list for a really long time. I have been on the opinion of Jack has been lazy. Uh, went off his Google and Google does not list this list and come up with it. I even called one of his picks completely basic. You know, it's like a chocolate chip cookie, but I want ice cream. Not knowing that it was also on my list and I just couldn't see it one day. <laughs> I did the opening to Raiders of the Lost Ark uh, as my 18. All right. Uh, so, um, I guess I can go through my list or you want Jack to go through his now? No, you go, go, go ahead. Just do all yours, and we'll go back to Jack. Okay, so number twenty, the the, uh, the sponge is dry. Um, arguably one of the hardest scenes to watch in film for me. It's really a hard scene, but I think it's a very powerful scene at the same time. Uh, Percy, one of the worst human beings alive in any movie, um, goes uh, is running the execution for I can't think of the main character's name. But he is to, you know, wet the sponge, put it on the the, the inmate that's going to be uh, um, riding the lightning, um, and he skips the step. He knows it. He clearly goes to dip it. He does, and he puts it in. They start doing the electrocution. It's affecting John Coffey also inside the cell. Like, as soon as he, he knows something's going on, he feels everything around him, basically. Um, Hanks and all the guards know instantly what's wrong with him, and he basically has to just sit through this why he's alive, getting shocked to death and going through the pains. Because Percy, he's also a scumbag the entire movie, but this is like his ultimate like moment. Um, Hanks goes to turn it off at one point and goes, the guy's still alive. You can't turn it off when he's cooking. Like It's just like where it is. You got Sam Rockwell in his cell, like acting, John Coffey, the lightning, and then Hanks, like, makes him watch. Like, Percy tries to turn away because it's even making Percy, like, sit to his stomach. And he's like, no, you watch what you did. Like, makes him sit there and watch as he, like, catches on fire, basically. It's a super hard scene, but it's also probably the most impactful scene from the movie. I know Jack had it, so go ahead. Yeah. Yeah, it was my 77. This scene is just absolutely difficult to watch. It's uh, Percy is a monster. He is the person in film that I hate the most. There is no one in film that I hate more than Percy. I, I would love nothing more than to punch him in the face. Uh, fictional <coughs> character, Scott. I go with Jenny. You go with Fictional character. Just stop. Okay, stop. He's literally a character. Anyways, this is. Uh, the scene that I think of every time uh, I think of uh, the Green Mile, and that's an achievement because there's an, a whole host of incredible scenes. Uh, also, Coffee's execution, but it's this scene that uh, is just so brutal. Uh, Percy uh, realizing what he's done uh, and feeling that shame for, uh, you can see him feeling that shame for a second there and then hank sees it too grabs him makes him watch what he's done because he he can't turn it off uh and so uh he he's making him watch while the guy's frying in there it, it catches on fire and it's just horrible one of the most painful scenes i've ever watched it's 
it, it's it's an, an, an incredible feat uh, from Darabont as a director and the uh, performances from Hanks and Percy and everyone involved. It's fantastic. Uh, my 19, the defense is wrong. Um, this is prom- This is the best scene from um, uh, my cousin Vinny, in my opinion. Uh, basically calls uh, Miss Vito up to the stand to be a witness on automobiles, uh, not mechanics, but automobiles. And um, he uh, sits there and um, she, the other, I can't think of the other guy who plays the attorney, but he's basically like, well, let me prove that she's not like a, like a, an expert in this field and starts testing her. She basically proves him wrong, and then they starts talking about the the car, and like she starts just putting on a master class of just. I won't quote it because I will do a terrible job of the quoting, but it basically proves that there's a different car. It's only in one model. Blah blah blah, and it's just like um, Vinny knows this the entire time, so he's like, "Are you sure?" Like, unless she says, "There's more," and she's like, keeps cutting down like everything about it. And he's already sent off, like, to find the other stuff about it. It's basically the, the big reveal of the final uh, scene. But, like, she's able to just dismantle that entire car room. Even, like, the judge is, like, like enthralled with what she's saying the entire time. So, if it's as strong as mine. Um, and then, what a brilliant scene number 18 is. I thought Jack had too low. I thought it was too basic of a scene. But I have it at 18, which is the proper rating for opening the Raiders of the Lost Ark. It's brilliant. It's absolutely brilliant. Um, Nazario's in this scene too. If you ever watch this, especially when he gets stuck, he definitely. Uh, it looks like Nazario at when he gets like impaled. It looks like Nazario. Go check it out. Um, uh, but overall, this scene. I mean, it's been talked to about a death, like, and people think it's like you know one of those important scenes in the film. But I really do. I think with the score and the 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 suspense level and the. Is he going to get out of this? It's the first time you actually see Indy do this stuff. So we talked about it a little bit before with Jack and Bowman, and they didn't give it enough credit. So I'll pass it off to the host with the most that knows, you know, film. So go ahead. Okay, um, Green Mile, uh, the Dry Sponge. I've cried. I cry a lot at movies, like for sadness or happiness. Like this movie, I remember sitting in the theater and I was crying out of anger and just rage. And I was shaky. Like Kathy sitting next to me, she's like, "You need to calm down. Like this is a movie." But I don't. I cannot remember a time I've ever been so furious in a movie before. And uh, Percy's just like the perfect Stephen King character, like the person who's. It's there's nothing supernatural or like, you know, otherworldly evil about him. He just like the the, the perfect embodiment of like human evil. And um, yeah, this scene just completely wraps it up. But yeah, I've, I, like I said, the, the emotions I felt watching this scene, I can't remember a scene that's ever made me uh, uh, made me feel that way before. Uh, my cousin Vinny, um, good scene. I went back and rewatched this. Really good scene. Really fun scene. I know how much you love this movie. I still think it's a little, uh, it's a little, you know, nineteen, probably a little high uh, for the, for this one. Um, but still, good scene. Okay, Raiders, fantastic scene. Probably the greatest character deduction ever because this tells you everything you need to know about Indiana Jones just through these actions. And what you need to know about Indiana Jones is he's a sham. Like the whole like man of action is a complete act. Like Indiana Jones is a bookworm. He's a, he's a, he's a nerdy college professor 
and his love for archaeology gets into these situations. But it's not it's not real. You know, he we find out later he even like made up a name for himself for this persona. And you know, just the fact how you show like he's like super cool, like with the whip and the map and everything moving in, he knows exactly what to do. But as soon as the crap hits the fan, he's just running for his life like like a scared child. And I love that so much. It's such a great scene. I want to address the conversation when uh, when we when you guys talked about this when I was here, Caleb Boatman, photo of your host. Thank you very much, uh, Caleb. You did a great job. Um, but the idea that this scene is too basic, like, just blows my mind. Like, what the, the idea that one of the greatest like exercises in filmmaking ever is is basic because it's so great. Like, just ridiculous to me. I got Jake over here bringing me, you know, Nick Nolte and Hulk, and then you know, the, the, this masterpiece is too basic uh it's yeah i mean I, I i wish each of you would have brought me 100 of the most basic scenes you could think of i think a show would have been so much better if you guys would have done that um so i know you got a hard time for it when boatman was here jack don't worry grand scheme of things really would help you cody great pick um i will I'll i did bring... not give him a hard time for the record you said it was basic you talked about how basic i said no i said some things are basic but that's okay i was positive towards the scene do not slander me he he was overall positive he was mad at everyone else he was pretty he was pretty positive okay everybody else that was the problem sorry about it uh, I will, even though we're only at 18, Jake and Scott, I need you to defend yourselves. Why is this on your list? Oh, okay. Um, it's a great scene. Like, this is exactly why I talk about with Godfather Lights. Like, if we're doing 200 best scenes of all time, objectively speaking, I could absolutely have this on my top 100. I would. Um, but just as far as personal favorites go, I just have other scenes I would want to talk about that I love. And then, yeah, this one is great, though. Yeah, I, I mean, I pretty much agree with Jake. It's obviously a great scene. It's obviously an incredible movie, but it's not like a movie that's super personal to me or like a, a personal favorite. So I would much rather leave people who uh, do love it even more to talk about it and all have my weird picks over here in the corner. All right. Uh, let's go back over to Jack. Go back yeah, so, go over your list again, too, just so everybody, make sure everybody hears it. For sure. My 20 is The Border from Sicario, my 19, Battle of the Heroes, Star Wars, Revenge of the Sith, my 18, In Case I Don't See You, Good Afternoon, Good Evening, and Good Night uh, from The Truman Show. And none of those were yikes. Perfect. Uh, uh, the Border. What a brilliant uh, exercise in tension. This is easily Villeneuve's best directorial effort uh, like for a single scene. It's incredible uh the tension starts well before they cross the border into mexico to pick up the prisoner uh ev everything in this scene is uh done with intention uh, the, everything uh things so mundane as rolling down a window can uh in, in a car can ratchet up the tension even even more when they uh when they go over the rules of engagement of uh when they're allowed to uh, uh, attack the uh, the the men in the car that are coming to kill them to take the prisoner back. Uh, you know, as soon as they exit the car, everyone else is going. Uh, as soon as they draw their guns, people are going to die. Uh, and it cuts back to Emily Blunt after everything that happens. They leave the car. We cut back to Emily Blunt's character's POV. Uh, they start massacring these people in their cars. 
cut back to Emily Blunt, who's just absolutely mortified. Uh, this scene is brilliantly tense. Uh, Villeneuve is a master director and one of the best working today. My Arguably my favorite working today. And this is just him at his absolute best. I love this scene. I could watch it 30 times. It's incredible. Uh, my number 19, Battle of the Heroes. Sometimes... Uh, Look, that look, we know the Star Wars prequels aren't good for the most part. Uh, this is the exception, and this scene fully embodies why. Everything has been leading to this moment. The fall of Anakin uh into becoming Darth Vader, Obi-Wan's failure as uh his his brother and his uh his teacher, basically, and just uh he and it's the Obi-Wan realizes the truth that Anakin's gone. He he's not coming back, and he has to he has to end this. And uh, and the fight we get is brilliantly choreographed. It cuts back and forth between uh, the Mustafar battle and the battle in the Senate with uh, Yoda and the Emperor, which is also a, a solid battle. But it, the attention is a hundred percent focused on Anakin and Obi Wan and their fallout. It's a great moment. Some incredible choreography. Some great action. Shut up. Shut up. Shut up. <laughs> anyway, incredible action. I and once again John Williams uh proving that he's the greatest uh composer uh ever. So, yeah, no, I I cannot watch this scene enough. It's fantastic. And then we get number 18 in case I don't see you. Arguably my favorite ending one of my favorite endings in film we'll get to a couple later maybe uh but this is one of the most satisfying endings in film history uh truman uh realizing that his entire life has been a lie has uh decided to do something about it finally and uh he goes and he escapes and he's at the door and christoph uh played very well by ed harris uh in this film uh decides no what i have to i have to interfere and uh try try to keep him uh here so so that the show can keep going and truman done with it delivers what uh delivers his his like most quotable line in the in the show in case i don't see you good afternoon good evening and good night takes his final bow and steps out just a the ultimate fuck yes moment uh, in in movies uh, for me, and I honestly it, it I tear up sometimes. Just it, it, it's such a great satisfying moment. I love this scene so much, and Jim Carrey is just fantastic. Okay, um, number twenty, uh, solid scene. Uh, yeah, super tense. I love the way it's shot and just the way like they like that realistic, um, you know point of view of seeing how they handle this and you know calling in you know what are the rules here what are the rules of engagement what are we doing and then you know just like that that, that kind of like fog of battle type of thing uh and just I, I love i love when the scene opens they just pan over that line of cars just so you can see how deep in they are like how they have absolutely nowhere to go uh and then you know you see the, all that stuff going on um i think it's a little high um just because it, it does the tense tension really well i just think there are a lot of scenes that do that better 
Um, so I, I think uh, 20 is a little high for this, but still a really good scene. Um, 19, Star Wars, uh, Anakin versus Obi-Wan. From a technical standpoint, great looking fight. Um, but I've always said that I prefer when you look back at like the original trilogy, like specifically Return of the Jedi, and you watch that fight between Vader and Luke. Um, you know, it's not as flashy, it's not as showy, there's not as much like, like cool like flips and everything going on. Um, but character wise, like there's it's so much deeper because it's it, 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 the fight's about them and what they're going through. It's not just about you know the coolest you know flips. Um, and I think that's what we're missing from the Anakin Obi Wan fight is. You know, other than again the kind of cheesy dialogue the boatman brought up, um, you have that. Uh, you don't really have that, like you know, the, these people they grew up together, they're, they're brothers or you know, father and son or whatever. And you know, it, it could be any two people, you know, who are skilled with lightsaber fighting. Um, so I think that really takes away from the impact of it for me personally. Um, Cody, you wanted to comment on this as well. Yeah, Jack's gonna jack at the end of the day and put this. I just love where his pairing is and what like things he left off. I think this is just the war like terrible. If you want to put this in your list, that's fine. I just think it's the mean most meme to death like thing of all time right now. Like, like I, I just don't understand. And it's very on rewatch. It's very hard to see what's going on in this fight from majority of it. You see the sabers and they're going back and forth. It's cool. Best part is when it gets cut in half, but other than that, just weak. But just like this competition, I have the high ground now, so the sucks for Jack, you put this at 19. Okay, and uh, number 18, The Truman Show. Um, great ending to the movie. Um, I just, my whole thing with The Truman Show is I don't connect with that character. Um, when I'm watching this, like, I'm so much more interested in everything else going on around him uh, that, like, I would rather, like, whenever the camera's on him, like, show me everybody else. I want to see what everybody else is doing. Um, so, again, it's a great ending, a great wrap-up for the character. Um, I'm just not as connected to it. I think it's, again, it's not bad, but 18 super high for this. Um, so that's Jack. we got Cody already. Jake, we're moving on to you. You're bottom three. All right, my number 20. I was here some earlier. Uh, the, the ending, the climax, the three-way duel in The Good, The Bad, The Ugly. I think Cody, you had that right. All right. Uh, Nineteen, uh, in particular, Jake Mangoni fashion, the Unity Day Festival attack from Spider-Man, and eighteen also yikes uh, earlier, the finale, the ending uh, from Whiplash. Caravan. I had it. Yeah. Uh, Twenty. Yeah. Uh, Freeway Duel is just one of like the most iconic scenes in film history. I know we we're talking about like personal favorites, but this is legitimately. This is my favorite Western, and I love this scene and the build-up, the tension. The music by Ennio Morricone is just... It, it may be the best film score in film history, as far as I'm concerned. It's definitely up there. Um, everyone talks about how long the movie is, but like this is kind of the, the, the microcosm of the movie in that it's all that build-up to the very end of the, pay, of the payoff, and it's like a good 10 minutes of build-up, but you are never bored. You're just so riveted by these three guys walking in the spot getting their guns ready and it's just like about this treasure this money and this the confederate gold in this uh um in the uh bloody what's if i can't remember the cemetery um and just the tension the way sir giuliani just frames his shots from his like wide shots to his close-ups you just feel everything from just the close-up of everyone's eyes and the way it moves and you just know who's who and just the build-up the music and then we have the end and the shootout 
and it's quick, but it just gets to the point and you just know that Blondie is always the smartest one in the room. Um, absolutely fantastic. Um, just like absolute powerful movie sort of like cinema is here in this scene. Uh, number 19? Oh, wait, yeah, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, if I'm, uh, Jake's actually the reason I actually watched it for a while. That's like early on. Um, I'm with you 100%. I think when you think of shots, like favorite and like iconic, this one, this is it. The score mixed in with the close-ups and like everything. Like you feel like, like even when I kind of knew like originally for what was going to happen, still just like on the edge of your seat to see like who pulls gun, who shoots first. Like it's a brilliant scene. And yeah, yeah. Um, it definitely definitely gets a bad rap for the runtime, but overall, like the scene is like worth every bit of watching that movie. Like it's so good. So yeah. Uh, number nineteen, the Unity Day Festival attack. I had to include the scene from Spider Man. Um, when I I can't remember the specific first time I watched Spider Man, but watching it and wanting the build-up between Green Goblin and Spider-Man was, like, very much in my mind of, like, when it gets to the Unity Day attack, this is what I wanted, like, for this movie, is to see Spider-Man and Green Goblin fight. And just the way that it sets it up, you have MJ and Harry up in the uh, top of the building, then you just have Peter's spider senses going up, and he has no idea what's going on, and then you see something in, like, the far distance, like, coming closer, and you're like, what is it? Oh, it must be new this year. And then it's just this whole build-up, and then you got the, the pumpkin bomb explosion and then just causes all this anarchy and chaos. You've got that shot that's like very echoing uh, Christopher Reeve's Superman where he rips off his shirt to have the Spider-Man suit. Like just iconic shit I absolutely love. I love the way the Green Goblin kills the board of directors by turning them into skeletons. That shit has been in, brain, is ingrained in my, in my head forever. Um, just the way that you've got the... Um, all the extras just like playing it up, especially during the whole fight between Goblin and Spider-Man. You got the you got the one chick who is the producer's uh, daughter going, it's Spider-Man as he comes in. Just can't be shit. That's so much fun. Um, it's great. And then you have the whole part where he captures MJ and then you have the little moment between them in the garden. Um, absolutely fun stuff. It's just what you want to see in like a superhero movie. It's like there's is great action. Well done by Sam Raimi. Uh, fun stuff. And then uh, 18, uh, the caravan finale from uh, from Whiplash. Uh, Whiplash, yeah. I mean, this is a movie that had so much hype built uh, going into it. And when it gets to this, I had heard the third act or at least like the last 20 minutes was just like absolutely incredible filmmaking, incredible just like to watch. And when it gets to this and you have him come out, of the, come out onto the stage and just starts playing caravan and you're like, wait, what? And that's when you wrote, <clears throat> that's when I really, at least like really connected with the movie and just got like, oh yeah, it's about to do something that I was not expecting. And the whole caravan and how Andrew just gets the entire band to join with him um, is just great. And you have Terrence who's just like, has no idea what exactly to do. You have the part where he's like going to say, I'm going to beat the shit all, I can't remember the exact words, but then he like hits him with the the chime or whatever. I can't remember. What's, I don't know. I don't know drums, but just the whole built how it builds up and then you get Terrence and he's on his side and he's helping him. He's like, yeah, this is what I've wanted from you. Like from this entire movie, I wanted you to be exceptional. Like this is what I've wanted. And I could see it in you and you just have this whole build up and it just gets to him and he keeps playing the songs done, but he keeps playing and it builds up and then bang and you get to the end. And it's just like this triumphant moment of 
it doesn't matter what the audience, if they applaud, it's just the fact that Terrence finally sees Andrew and just is like, I'm proud, but you actually, you've done what I've wanted you to do. I see the exceptionalism in you that's finally out and you just get them all that end and then bang and it just cuts to black and that's the end of the movie just the fact that it's all about this between the two characters and not what the audience thinks i think is incredible stuff uh just the magic of the movies is right here i had it as well i think somewhere in my 40s um yeah i mean the only other thing i want to add is yeah the last shot of just like their eyes <clears throat> And, you know, you can, like, tell that they're, like, kind of smiling a little bit. Um, but I don't know. Like, it's not as triumphant for me because it's like, yes, he has finally achieved what, what you know, Terrence has trying to been get, you know, has been trying to get out of him for the whole movie. But what has it cost him? And that's what we don't know because it fades to black. And it seems like, you know, the intensity, everything, and just all the other events of the movie um, – you know, he may be worse off as a person going forward, even if he's better as a musician. Is the trade-off worth it? It's just, you know, things that the audience has to think over. But it's an amazing scene. And Damien Chazelle knows how to make an ending. And I have heard that the ending to Babylon is, like, one of the most insane things, like, ever. So I can't wait to see it. Anybody else have this? Okay. Um, good, uh, good, the bad, the ugly... Yeah, great scene. I love the way it's shot just with like the way they use the camera to show you like the distance and the space between them. Um, and you just just that wide, like just just wide screen, uh, take full advantage of it. The music and the build up. Um, it's like you want it you, you want it to end immediately, but also you want it at the same time to never end because it's so good. And just the acting, completely, you know, completely silent scene dialogue-wise, but just so much great face acting and eye acting. Like, nobody's really hamming it up. Um, it's very subtle, um, but you just get everything you need off of all of them. Um, so, yeah, that's – and I just love – I love how it ends where it's like you said, like, uh, Jake, that, you know, just uh, – Blondie had it, you know, set up for the beginning, to, you know, in his favor uh, by taking advantage of Tuco. I love what he, you know, he shoots uh, Lee Van Cleef. You know, he shoots him, he rolls in the grave, he takes his gun, he like, shoots the hat, shoots his gun, puts everything in the grave with his gun. Uh, yeah, fantastic scene, great pick. Um, Spider Man, uh, I should have had Coho like just clip me saying this weeks ago, so I didn't have to repeat myself. <laughs> Decent superhero movie scene. Um, I'm not going to say it's a bad scene, but top 19 all time. Lot, lots of uh, lots of superhero movies you could have had on this. Um, I think if you wanted the, the better, you know, superhero fight slash parade, Batman '89 does it better in my personal opinion. <laughs> um, so again, I know you love it, but uh, 19 is crazy high. And yeah, uh, the ending of Whiplash. I've talked. I'm not going to go too much. I've talked about this a million times. How much I love this scene. One of my all time personal favorite scenes. Uh, you guys really, you know, hit it here. Um, and I love the way you guys both talked about it. Like Jake, you talked about how it was like triumphant, and Scott, you talked more about how it's like the darker side. And I think that's what's so great about this scene is you don't know, and you feel both those things at the same time. It's like yeah, it's great for me. Finally got that. You know, uh, Fletcher has his Charlie Bird Parker. Uh, but you know, he's like, he's almost like a Frankenstein. And last time I watched this movie, I, I never really noticed this part before. Uh, Paul Reiser, who plays his dad, I think he's great in this movie, by the way. Like, he's just, he's like a really yeah. great, like, supporting cast member of this. Um, he's watching from the, from the side of the stage. Like, he has a crack of the door. He's looking through. It's almost like a Godfather type shot. 
And, um, you know, he, in this movie, he represents like normalcy or mediocrity, depending on how you interpret the movie. Um, but he's watching Andrew as, as, as he's getting into it and as it's building up. And look on his face. He's not proud. He's terrified of what his <laughs> son's becoming. And um, I just love that so much. Like you, you see him like Andrew untethering from his life to, to become this thing. And, you know, it's everything he wanted, but like Scott said, at what cost? So I, I've said this many times. Every time I watch this movie, I'm thinking about that ending for days. Um, it never fails to just impact me. And I, I never have like the right answer to it. I just, I, I'm just mulling it over. Um, and that's exactly what it should do. And uh, so, yeah, great pick on this one. Uh, so that was Jake Scott over to you 20 through 18. All right. Uh, my 20, we're going back to little women. This is the, I'm just a woman scene. Number 19, this is probably a yikes, but I have the Vivaldi Opera House sequence from the end of Portrait of a Lady on Fire. Yikes. Oh. Mm -hmm. And then number 18, uh, oh, look, it's Damien Chazelle again. I have the uh, moon landing from First Man. Uh, all right, uh, my 20, Little Women. Yeah, this is like the centerpiece scene of the movie, and it's actually not even in the book. Uh, Meryl Streep actually wanted... Gregor to write this scene to sort of emphasize the position that women found themselves in at this era, you know, marriage being an economic proposition, which is some of what the scene is about. Um, so I don't know if this is a real argument that people are, are saying that, you know, the writing, oh, Louisa May Alcott deserves all the credit or anything. Again, I don't know if anyone's actually saying that, but if you are, well, this scene, which is the best scene in the movie is all Greta. So, um, and the dialogue is great. Again, it's it's straightforward, but it's like elegantly written. Um, and, but everything else about the scene is great too. Like the blocking is really great. Like I love how like he runs over to the chair, Laurie, Timothy Chalamet's character, like really like runs over to the chair and like is goofing off a little bit. And like, it makes Amy laugh even when she's in like this serious mode, like, Oh, you know, I'm trying to be taken seriously. Um, I've grown up now with what I'm saying. There's like a little moment where we see like her uh, inner child come out and then like her speech. I mean, Florence Pugh like delivers that perfectly, the, you know, marriage being an economic proposition. And, you know, obviously these characters go on to have a romance. This is like the scene which really crystallizes it. And it's not even as much in what they say again, uh, as it is what they do. Like, um, Lori really starts to like see her as a different person, as like an adult person and, you know, sees her like really standing up for herself in the scene. And like, he like sort of falls for that. And i love the little note that the scene ends on, which is where she's going off to meet Fred Vaughn and he, she's like about to leave. And she asks him, you know, how do I look? And he says, you look beautiful. And then he like pauses for a second and goes, you are beautiful. And you see like that little change in dialogue is like it portrays so much about his character that now he is like looking past just the exterior and he like sees that she's actually a grown up, like mature person. And that's the person that he falls in love with. So there's so much going on in this scene. And, um, you know, it couldn't be more perfectly orchestrated by Greta and by, you know, the two actors in the scene. So I love it. 18, the moon landing from first man. Um, yeah, this scene was like one of the most amazing things I've ever seen in a theater. Um, and I don't even love the movie all that much, but this scene is amazing. Um, like it, of course, I wasn't alive when this event happened, but it really made me feel like 
the emotions that people must have felt in 1969 watching, you know, Neil Armstrong and, and co land on the moon for the first time, like watching this um, landmark achievement in human history. Um, the score by Justin Hurwitz, it's one of my all time favorite movie scores, um, like the way that it's just slowly building up with these strings. And then the first shot that you actually get of the whole moon, like is when it crescendos and it is just chills every single time. Um, but, you know, it's really intense, like the, the travel part of it is really intense. There's sirens blinking. You don't exactly know what's going on. Um, and then I love the way that it portrays the actual landing where you're like looking out of the bottom of the, the ship, the shuttle, and you see like it moving very quickly over the surface of um, of the moon. And that's how you're, it's like showing you that they're about to land and you see like the kind of about to touch down. And then like all of a sudden just the shadow comes in and covers all the light and it's just silent for a second. And that's how, you know, it's like a very sort of subtle way to portray that um, and maybe portrays how it actually felt to the, to the um, astronauts inside the, the shuttle. I mean, it's a very immersive, all the space scenes in the movie are very immersive. So um, it's a stunning scene. Again, it's one I'll never forget watching in theaters and I come back to it often. Okay, um, little women scene. I I'm surprised to hear you say this is the best scene in the movie because honestly, I I had forgotten how to go back and, and find it, look at it. Um, it's not like it's not a bad scene, um, but it's just kind of I feel like it's just there, like it's almost like an exposition scene, just like explain her character and her motivations. Um, like it's an interesting conversation, um, but I really didn't see. And I'm not even going to talk about you know Florence Pugh. She's fine in it. She's I mean it's, she's they're both fine in it. Um, but I, this really didn't strike me as like a, 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 other than explaining that part of her drive, um, didn't strike me as like a, a very powerful scene in the movie. In a movie filled with powerful scenes, for you to say this is the best, um, as someone who really loves the movie, is uh, it's honestly surprising to me. And I, I think this is your second pick. I don't know if you, from this movie, I don't know if you have any more, but yeah, um, like I said, this just that, that was kind of surprising to me. Um, and first, man, uh, I wouldn't have thought of this. Um, and I think it's a little high, but it's still a great scene. Um, what always fascinates me about the moon landing is just, you know, we think about it now, it's like in 2022, it's like, oh yeah, go to the moon, that's no big deal, we can do that. But, you know, we never really think about it, it was like 1969, and they basically just launched a metal box into space. And I don't think, uh, other movies in the past have done it, like the right stuff and everything, I don't think, uh, this is the first movie that was made recreate the moon landing where they had the technology to really recreate it as it was um, and show you everything as they saw it. Um, so I think that's really cool. And just showing inside, like there's the scene where they're at the, the control panel and it just like knobs, it looks like knobs on your stove mm -hmm. and like plastic knobs and like buttons and just like, how in the world did you go to the moon with this? Um, so I think that just makes the achievement seem that much greater. Um, but also just really cool just to get that firsthand experience of, you know what it looked like to them what it felt like to them i think that's a really good job of communicating that um so that's the bottom three um getting into the meat of it uh jack your number 17. all right uh my number 17 is leonard and paula's dance from awakenings yeah this scene is a total punch in the gut for me uh the for those of you that haven't seen this movie, Robert De Niro's character, Leonard, uh, has been uh, basically in a coma for decades, uh, for, 
for like three decades and he finally wakes up and he's made progress rum williams has been uh treating him and he's gotten better and he it seems like he could uh reintegrate into normal life eventually spoilers by the way spoilers for awakening if you haven't seen it yes massive spoilers this is uh some but um but then the symptoms start to come back and he starts to shake violently again and he knows that he's gonna go back to sleep and there's nothing that he can do about it there's nothing robin williams can do about it and the woman that he's kind of fallen in love with uh during this time uh paula uh he's uh sitting down in the cafeteria with her of the uh facility and um the hospital and uh he's basically saying his goodbyes he's like i he's like i'm i I'm, i can't see you anymore and uh he and he gets up to leave he goes to shake her hand and when he goes to pull away she holds his hand tight and brings him in and dances with him it, it there's it's just a beautiful moment of just these these two people they know they don't have uh any time together and it's just this gorgeous moment of them just dancing uh, i i can't explain it any more than that there is this scene affects me very deeply every time I see it. I cry every time. I cried earlier today rewatching the scene. And it's, yeah, it, it'll always be one of my favorites. I love the scene so much. Muted. My only um, problem uh, with this scene is that I think that Penelope Ann Miller's character and their relationship is a little underdeveloped. Um, so that takes away from some of the oomph for it for me. Um, other than that, um, I think it's great. Um, just because like you said, like the scene opens up with it's two of them eating and you see him, um, you know, he's regressing, you know, obviously, you know, physically you can tell he's, he's regressing and he's having a conversation and she's just telling him like, Oh, what, you know, what did you do last night? She's like, Oh, me and my friends went out. We would, we did, you know, we went dancing, we went here, there. And he's like, Oh, that sounds really fun. I've never done any of those things before. So they talk a little bit more. He's like, I, he's like, he's like, and like Jack said, he tells her, "I'm not getting any better, and I'm I'm not going to see you anymore. I don't want you to see me like this." And he gets up to leave, and he shakes her hand, and she pulls him in, and they just start dancing. And he's tre trembling and tremoring like very violently, you know, up to this point. And as soon as she pulls him in, he starts to settle down. And there's a moment where he's completely still, and he's kind of like back. Um, and you know that that that's kind of. And, and, and they've made a point up the, to this point in the movie where physical touch is kind of like his uh, his marker, like his that that's what um, kind of brings him back out of his spells and what what, what helps him uh, recover. And just that moment with her, um, it's a little fast too. That's other thing; like it, it kind of ends a little too quickly for me. Um, but other than that, really strong scene. Uh, anybody else seen Awakenings? Anybody have anything else uh, to say about the scene? I haven't seen Awakenings. Me either. Movie is super powerful. I suggest anybody. The only reason I didn't include it is because overall, like, I think it's really hard to like when you break down the scene by yourself. Like, this is a great scene to choose. So don't get me wrong. It's just hard because it it requires the entire movie for you to like get to that point, like to have the power. So if you watch a scene alone, it does not have any amount of weight 
in the movie. Like, I could never stand it. I could never watch the scene by itself. Like, or like when somebody mentioned it, I'm like, oh yeah, but like what led to it? I think the movie's great. Go check it out. But yeah, the scene overall, good, but it's just hard to pick a scene from this movie. All right, uh, Jack, you're number 16. All right, my number 16. Uh, it's uh, Martin's Dance slash What a Life from uh, Another Round. Yeah, this uh, this this is the final scene of the movie. Uh, and it's just so hard to describe for me how, uh, how I feel in this scene because it's both incredibly sad because uh their friend uh recently uh had passed away and uh they they had come from his funeral a little bit back and they're uh but there's also this just sense of joy in this scene because they uh they're at this restaurant uh they they toast their friend and they uh uh and they hear their graduating class. All three of them are uh, high school teachers, and their graduating class is driving by in like this party bus. And uh, they they pull up to like this pier and uh, start opening bottles of champagne. And the three teachers, uh, one being Mads Mikkelsen, goes there and uh, 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 celebrates with them. And it's just. At this point in the movie, they've uh, mentioned a few times that uh, Mads Mikkelsen's character, uh, whose name escapes me at the moment for some reason, uh, used to dance uh, when he was younger. And the entire movie, they had been like, hey, maybe now. Uh, but no, uh, it's saved until this moment when he finally, uh, finally uh, dances. And it's the most fun moment in the movie, but there's that little tinge of just sadness to it uh mads mickelson is phenomenal uh i could honestly just watch mads mickelson uh dance for a while it's it, it, it's just a fun time it's a very complex uh it, it i never know how to uh, how to describe how i feel while watching the scene and even describing the scene itself it's a little challenging for me but also you've got the song what a life playing in the background and that's a fantastic song so check that song out if you uh haven't already so for context kirk and cody are not listening because uh they have not, they seen, have the not seen the movie and they don't want to get spoiled i have also not seen the movie uh wasn't really paying attention so uh <laughs> that's just as good as not listening i guess because i still do want to watch it jake i have seen the movie yeah uh, yeah um this is a great scene this is a great ending to the movie i don't want to go too much in the spoilers i'll just say that uh, it's a very triumphant moment for the main character and sort of a uh, a uh, an, an evolution for the character because uh, uh, throughout the movie he's never he's been asked to dance and he won't and then this is sort of the moment when he finally gets to live a little and it's great and it's also good with the parallel with his relationship with his uh, family and that kind of come plays up into the movie but yeah this and the dance is just also just incredible the chore the choreography of the way he dances the way he jumps out of the um uh. Uh, yeah, um, and dances like it's really great. It's, it's yeah. awesome. Yeah. Also, that final shot is fantastic. The final shot is great. Yeah. All right. Uh, All right you can come back, Kirk. Okay. Yeah. I didn't listen because I don't want to spoil it. I could even say. Uh, okay. So, uh, Jack, give us your number fifteen. 
All right. My number 15 uh, is Baxter finds Fran in the apartment uh, from the apartment. Uh, this scene is another gut punch. Uh, <laughs> spoilers for the apartment if you haven't seen it for whatever reason. Uh, so at this point, uh, Fran is at uh, Baxter's apartment uh, with Mr. Sheldrig uh, and uh, her boss, Baxter's boss. Uh, he leaves her there because uh, he has he, he has to leave. And so he just leaves her there, uh, gives her some money to uh, go home. She goes to the uh, she goes into the washroom, sees a bottle of sleeping pills, takes the entire bottle, basically. And uh, Jack Lemon's character, Cece Baxter, comes home with another woman. Uh, and the, the scene starts with him kind of just doing his Jack Lemon thing, uh, what, what, as he's like trying to clean up, uh, the apartment as he realizes, oh, they left the gloves here. Oh, they, they left the record player going. And then he tosses the gloves into the bedroom, sees Fran, closes the door, realizes what he just saw, and then goes back in and he thinks she's just asleep and he tries kicking her out nothing's working so he uh grabs her hand and uh tries to pull her out of bed but he finds the pill bottle and he realizes what's happened and so he rushes to his neighbor who is fantastic in this movie by the way uh who's a doctor uh, uh to get his help and the the lack of music in this scene ratchets up the uh, helps ratchet up the tension even more it's a brilliant moment uh jack it, it is the turning point in the movie uh jack lemon it stops being uh it, at this point i feel like it stops being the comedy uh, and is at this point just drama because a woman has just committed to uh, attempted to commit suicide in uh baxter's apartment and uh the tension in that scene is incredible i love this scene so much uh lemon is fantastic in it the neighbor whose name escapes me at the moment is fantastic and Shirley MacLaine, she she's a little out of it in this scene. Well, uh, once she wakes up, once they get her uh, awake, but her performance in this scene is also incredible. Uh, I can't recommend this movie enough. If you haven't seen it, this scene is fantastic. Cody, I think you had this earlier, maybe. No. Okay, I'm missing. Okay. I I uh, yeah, like you said, this is where the movie takes a hard left turn. About uh, this, pretty much just a comedy, you know, a little skeevy, but it's just a comedy. Um, and this work goes dark. Um, I like the scene, um, in general. Like, I don't love this movie, I like the movie a lot. I just don't love it as much as everybody else does. Um, I don't know if this is the scene I would have went with, um, but it's still like you said, it's a it's a the seminal scene, pivotal scene in the movie. Uh, everybody else saw in the uh, the scene in the apartment. Yeah, I'm weirded that this is the scene that you picked, like. Mine, I, I'll admit, it's not like the ultimate, but it's like when he when he finds out about like all the stuff that he's been doing behind her back, like, and she's not special, like at that point. <clears throat> I would have picked the ending where they get together and they play. If you're because you have one scene from each movie, so if you're gonna pick a scene, I think them like celebrating all, like together and playing the guards and drinking, like I think that just is like the heart moment of the apartment. Um, but when you said it, I was like, oh, maybe it's not been out for this different one. Yeah, I don't, I not, I don't love the scene. I like the, I like the scene because of what it makes in the movie, but I don't love the scene. 
Um, yeah, seems all right. It's been a while since I've seen it. Um, yeah. I still have never seen it. Sorry. I know. It's okay. Uh, Zach, Zach Ford is furious and also very proud of you. <laughs> okay, uh, Jack, number 14. All right. All right. I'm like 99% sure Cody had this one. Uh, my number 14 is uh, Salieri and Amadeus finishing the Requiem in Amadeus. Yeah, this, uh, this scene is fantastic. Uh, Salieri played brilliantly by F. Murray Abraham in this film. Uh, goes to uh, Amadeus's house, finds him basically on his deathbed, uh, and uh, he finishes. Uh, he he goes and he uh, he I I I didn't rewatch the scene and I should have, but he goes and he uh, he starts writing uh, what, what Amadeus is telling him, and uh, he can't keep up with Amadeus. It's uh, he he's on another level here, and. Uh, when he finally writes notes down, he sees what Amadeus is doing. He he, everything clicks for him, and he realizes exactly what's happening. And meanwhile, he's basically out there. Uh, he he's in this room with him, basically while he's dying, just saying, "Keep on, keep it coming, come on." Uh, and it's just, it's a brilliant moment for this character because uh, <sighs> Salieri has he has this hatred and respect for Amadeus and that is not uh exemplified better than in this scene I think it's uh he uh it's been a while since I've seen the movie but I plan on rewatching it soon I should have rewatched the scene but I uh I didn't uh Cody I'm having trouble talking right now so you can just take it away one sec uh yeah it's my number 60 don't go rewatch the scene now Jack um listen uh <laughs> I, I love this scene. I, I think, uh, again, I think this scene is, I think this movie overall gets a, like, like, I've shown it to people and they don't find it as, like, great as I do. I just think, like, of the Best Picture winners, this is one that could compete against a lot of Best Picture winners. I think it's that great of a film. And I think it basically boils down the relationship between these two characters because the love and the, the respect and the hatred is so you feel it throughout the entire movie between them. And it even comes down to this final scene with them is basically, as I've always just like described as he's like juicing him <laughs> as he's, he's dying and he is wringing out every last bit of him, like onto the papers while he dies, like in front of him. No, there's nothing else. Like no rest, no, like thing, no words is going to work and keep it going. And he's just like dying. And I think it's just such a powerful scene um, because as as the music cues in, as he's like, he's like, no, 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 not that. And he like does it like shows how brilliant how talented he is. I think it's absolutely a brilliant. It's sixty. It could have been higher on my list, but overall, it's just it's a scene that just it makes me sad, but also like shows how powerful like of a composer he really was. So yeah. I love this scene. I love this movie. Um, yeah, one of my favorite things about the movie in general was just the relationship between these two and just like the different viewpoints they have of their relationship. And I love where it comes ahead here because basically at this point, Celery is planning on killing Mozart. And when he shows up, Mozart's like, listen, I, I need your help. You're my only friend. You're the only person I can trust. 
and it just is like just shows you how just on completely different wavelengths they both were. And I love that so much. And I don't I I, I, I read it a different way than you do, Cody. I don't see this as Salieri ringing him. I see this Mozart ringing himself out. Um, he's pushing himself because I think I think there's even a point where Salieri's like, you know, you need to rest. He's like, no, 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 we got to keep going. We got to finish this. And just to me, I think it's amazing that anybody could write a symphony at all. Like somebody could write a bad symphony. Um, but just for someone to write something that perfect um, and just to see the the work, like you know how the sausage is made, basically, where he's like, OK, now the horns come in and this and this note, and this note, and that note. And just like they're speaking the same language, that musical language. But Mozart is just so much more fluent in it than uh, than than Salieri is. And he sees that. And like you said, he's he's finally coming to respect it and really just just respect the it's at this point i think for him it becomes more about the craft and the product that you know what he produced more than the man himself um but yeah fantastic scene uh another one scott and jake didn't have tell us why why well, did uh, you scene seen us, from the movie a uh, great scene uh i've seen the movie once it's yeah it's, it's just not really something i have a personal connection with i had a different scene from the movie and I do like my choice better still, but I mean, yeah, I, I kind of regret not having it, but there's only a hundred spaces, but it's, uh, yeah, it's so good just watching them in sync together. And from Salieri's perspective, it's like a fulfilling moment for him because he's had to watch all of the, and be frustrated by all of this brilliance, just sort of from the sidelines. And now he gets to participate in it um, in a way. So he actually gets to sort of play a role. And I think that goes a long way towards him softening a little bit towards Mozart in his final moments there. Um, and so it's it's a great moment of the, everything coming to a head. Yeah, for the record, I've been the master for two years and I just haven't hadn't seen Amadeus until 2019. All right, uh, let's go back over to Cody for your number 17. Okay. So my number 17, um, there's a scene that plays in the intro to YLF, my YLF, but it's not the scene from this movie that's the most important scene for me. It's from Injustice for All. It's uh, it's the parking garage scene. It's uh, uh, basically up until the point he's having to defend this awful, awful judge into this case. But he also has other clients like along with him. And he has to pass off this one client that should be pretty easy. Like he tells him exactly what he needs to do, like this other def, uh, other lawyer, just exactly how to handle it, everything. And um, basically the other lawyer completely just fucks it up. And he gets sentenced. I don't know how long he gets sentenced, but he does get sentenced. And he shows up in the parking garage and he starts like beating the shit out of this out of the other lawyer's car. And he's like, Will you relax? Like, calm down. He's like, No, do you understand? Like, like he's like telling him, like, what because the other lawyer doesn't know at the time, but at the end time, the guy, and this is a spoiler for the movie, uh, his client killed himself in jail. He got sentenced. Uh, Arthur basically told him, you'll be fine, you'll get out, like, you will serve no time, you are fine. He got sentenced, and he ends up taking his life, and he's, like, beating the shit out of the car, he's so emotional, he's like, don't you care? Like, 
like just so like so like distraught and so angry is like and it's such a powerful scene like there are so many scenes from Injustice for All that does not get the same amount of credit that I, this whole court is out of order like that's like the iconic scene but this scene this movie has so many powerful scenes and so many but this is by far the best scene of the thing he is so distraught because he gave he had to trust somebody else because he took a, had to take a case that he did not want and was basically blackmailed into taking and ends up losing the guy a person lost their life because he just wasn't there to you know do the thing that he was supposed to do it is such a heart ripping scene um, but yeah don't you care warren don't <laughs> yeah. you even care this is such an underrated uh Pacino performance um and yeah, this is if Cody was if Coho was here, he'd be playing the pandering clip because it is, but it doesn't matter because it's the right pick. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Th- this is the scene because at the, the end, it's textbook there it is, perfect. Um, at the end, he's just kind of over it and it's just like, I'm just gonna go do whatever. But this is where it really hits him. Like, this is where he realizes that, like, what they're doing, like, the, the little games they play, how it's Lot. Yeah, it's basically what it is. It's just like I don't know if it's an injunction or you know uh, whatever it is, but it's just a piece of paper. At the hand of the judge. You're cutting out, Kirk. Okay, I thought it was me. Barely. We can see you. We just can't hear you. How about now? It's definitely all That's good. Right, that okay. Better, yeah. Um. Yeah, like basically, he just has to hand the judge a piece of paper before he bangs the gavel. It's all he has to do. This guy gets off. Uh, this client get off, gets off, and he he just forgets. He's like, oh, after the, he's like, oh wait, your honor. He's like, nope, too late. And the guy goes to jail, and that's uh, you know it's mirrored in another uh, 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 client he has, where just through some ridiculous technicality, the guy spent years in jail, and um, you know he's he, and this is where Pacino just completely breaks down. And is, is realizing what's like I said how, how they're destroying people's lives with just just little penny any nonsense they're playing. Um, so yeah, this is uh, like I said I'd put this top three performance uh, scene wise for Pacino uh, in his entire career. That's how good it is. Uh, everybody else uh, have anything to say about this scene? Haven't seen it. I uh, have not seen it. Um, I saw it once, but it's been a minute. It's definitely one that's due for a rewatch for me. I think. It would probably hit a bit, a little bit different now that I have actually been in the legal profession for a minute. Yeah, so um, <laughs> it's on the list. I hope to get to it soon. Yeah, I think you would really uh, yeah like this one now. Uh, okay, Cody, uh, number sixteen. Uh, it was like the number one movie for all top one hundreds that we ever did, but it's uh, Inglorious Bastards. It's the Bear Jew. Interesting. Um, and I think I've, I've brought this list up to a few people that are on the show, and most people have the exact same reaction. Interesting, Cody. Yeah, it's not a shock that I used the guy from Boston that comes out with the bat and beats the guy's head in. Teddy fucking Williams. Right over the green fucking mountain. Dead center. Um, <clears throat> I love this movie. I love this movie. It's not my favorite Tarantino, but I believe this is like Tarantino's like best film, like what he's been able to achieve. 
And I think it's everything that's set up in this like scene from the score to how it's shot, the sound, like everything in the scene is so like powerful. When he basically tells him you're going to take that wiener schnitzel finger and point where the other troops are. And he's like, and he tells him, no, I'm not doing that. It's like for country or what? He says something for like for country or something. He's like, all right. And you just hear, he's like, listen, you do what you want. But seeing him smash Nazis heads in is the most like, it's like going to the movies for us. And he is like denies again. He won't do it. And then all of a sudden you just hear this bat just start tapping the bricks and he comes out and and i think it's the i isn't the sam levine part where i i'm shit my pants if i were you i think that's yeah. the, like the it's part a, from it so yeah is it after or it's after, after. Oh, yeah. it's after. but after he beats him but anyway <clears throat> he just comes out and he like this just straight boston thick just like cocky like guy you thought like the bastards were like over the top in general but this guy comes out he's like and he like you just see the rage that fills his eyes and of course he bashes his head in and the whole thing like but it's like one of these scenes like this group like which most people should hates nazis so much that they set up their own little game in this whole like new thing I just love everything about. I love everything with the bastards. I always wish that we got like a spinoff where they weren't dealing like before we met up with the bastards and they were just going through. Um, but yeah, the scene is just absolutely my favorite scene from Glorious Bastards. Like, and I didn't choose one scene. Like, I don't know if it's been talked about or not, but I want this on the record. I chose this scene because the one scene is arguably talked about as much as the Dark Knight in this community. So I just didn't have it. That scene is absolutely incredible. Probably the best shot, but this scene is like, I love this. You don't have to defend yourself. Um, you really can't go wrong. There's three or four um, scenes in this movie that you could have in your top twenty, top ten, and I'm not going to tell you anything wrong with it. I love this. I mean, honestly, like when I'm watching the movie, my favorite scene is whatever scene I'm watching at that point. Um, but I just love. I don't know how much you're considering it, but that whole extended sequence of them in that gully is so good. Just, you know, with the Hugo Stiglitz introduction, the guitar, the guitar riff, Deb Jackson coming in, and that flashback. Um, but yeah, that's so good. You just sit there, you know, just like, you know, they're just, they've just slaughtered. There's like, the, 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 the ground is littered with bodies. And they're, you know, just laughing and joking. And um, like, this is what I love about the, like this later half, like, Tarantino's like revenge fantasy era where it's like you just see people getting brutally murdered and it's so like he picks the right targets you know like he picks people you want to see have horrible ha things happen to um, and just their their attitude like their nonchalant and he's like you know put it on the map where they're at he's like no he's like well you know tickle death to hear you say that watching Donnie smash Nazi's head is the closest we could go to the movie and the line he says that is he goes Donnie we got a Nazi who wants to die for country Oh my gosh. And uh, <laughs> yeah, just, just the fact that it's like, okay, we would have liked the information on the on, on, you, you, the, the reconnaissance on your troops, but we'll settle for watching your head bashing because that's that's a lot of fun too. Um, but yeah, this just move this sets up the movie so perfectly. Like when this scene hits, you're like, okay, I'm on board. And I agree with you, I wish we would have get to see them like in action a little bit more. Um, but I'm not gonna complain because it's the movie. <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, this seems so much fun. The way to kill the character. Yeah. Good. I'm pissed I didn't come up with the oblige him yeah. like that. I <laughs> used to say that more times than I could count, so I'm very upset about something. What'd you get that uh, medal for? Bravery. Bravery. <laughs> yeah, the music in that part, like him just looking up, and he's and then, like as soon as he started, that music builds. I get it, it's just like yeah, just, the, <laughs> it just but the, music, cuts, the music's yeah. blown up, and it, as soon as he hits, it cuts, and it just and then they me, shoot the other guy. Yeah. Goddamn, <laughs> right uh, so good. Such a such a great scene. Uh, we all seem to enjoy it. No one else had it on the list, though. Let's talk about it. It's my, I mean, it's my second favorite movie of all time. So I could have had every scene on here again. I think it's flawless. Uh, but I had multiple scenes from the movie on my list. Scenes, plural. Um, I mean, this one definitely ranks highly. We've about quoted the whole thing at this point. So I don't even know that there's anything more to say. But um, yeah, I mean, it doesn't get better than this movie. Um, I love Inglourious Bosses. It's just, I I don't know, like, it's, I haven't seen it in a couple years, um, but, like, I, it's a great scene. I remember watching the scene all the time, uh, but I don't know, just, there's not, like, so I just didn't really think about this as, like, a scene that I absolutely love to put on my top 100. No web slinger, you know, swinger. There's, yeah, unfortunately, that was, that was the case. Uh, yeah, Fantastic scene, but uh, one scene per movie, and I yikesed one of them, so uh, didn't make my list. What scene that <laughs> Fair enough. All right, uh, Cody, number 15. I'm really surprised it's lasted this long. I haven't had one of these. I just wanted everybody to know that I've, I've done really good on like, holding it in. But number 15 is from 1994. It's The Lion King, and it's The Circle of Life. I mean, I don't know how much more I can say about this. I've talked to Nazim about this. Everybody knows this is not my second favorite movie of all time. This is the trailer to The Lion King. Like, uh, this is such a like such a convincing scene that they literally use this as the trailer. That thump just can bring back nostalgia instantly as soon as doom, you see The Lion King appear for the first time. Um the animation alone in this is absolutely still one of the greatest looking films of all time. The song itself is one of the best, like Disney songs. It literally brings everything like nostalgia back. Um, Zazu literally flying over the entire like the kingdom is just, I think, just a beautiful shot. Um, yeah, I'll save everybody and try to get you out of a decent time. But yeah, life, the circle of life is by far the scene. And there's a lot of scenes I could have chosen. Chose. But this is like, when I'm talking about best scenes of all time, this is arguably the one of the best animated scenes of life that's ever been. Yeah, um, I'm a little older than you guys, so a lot older than some of you. But uh, So I don't have this like childhood connection to Lion King um, that I think you know most of you do uh but objectively this is fantastic um the music the animation um everything about it uh just sets up the world uh just so much great world building through the music and everything uh yeah great scene um again it wouldn't be my 15 but i can't say that it shouldn't be your top 20. uh everybody else on uh circle life 
it's definitely the scene to pick from the movie. I, I definitely agree with that. Um, it's one of the probably the best opening scenes in a movie. And you mentioned the the trailer. Um, I, I mean, it's almost like it's a little short film in and of itself, like this opening, you know, three minutes or whatever. Like it it tells like a sort of a story, like, you know, beginning to end in a way like you can watch it and feel fully satisfied. Uh, but then you can also watch it and be like, OK, well, now the movie starts. Um, so it's you know it, it's it serves a lot of purposes but yeah I, you know on a high level it's just very beautiful to look at and uh, the song is a banger yeah i was thinking about if this is the best scene in the movie and i think there may be one other scene that's like just slightly better but this is a sequence i really really love and the opening is just like a perfect like for them for what you're expecting for this film and also just the themes of you know the song circle of life which is probably my favorite Lion King song, to be honest. Um, my, that might be like um, like a hot take, but yeah, I just like the song a lot and just the build up. Um, and the animation is just incredible, like the way you see all the animals and all that. Yeah, it's a good scene. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, this scene's fantastic. Uh, I don't know if I had any Disney uh, scenes on my list. I had a couple animated scenes, but I don't know if any of them were Disney. But this is one of the greatest scenes in all of Disney's. Uh, pantheon it's it's fantastic great pick cody uh i watch the scene on repeat uh every like constantly when i was a child uh and i still find myself revisiting it so it, it yeah great pick okay uh cody uh 14 please uh so we're getting into like my favorite movies of all time list like you know, that's where the range is happening um uh, my 14 is uh, Clint's speech uh, from Jaws, the Indianapolis speech from Jaws, basically. Is, um, Robert Shaw is a national treasure. Uh, gone. Uh, wish there were more uh, scenes with him. Uh, movies. Uh, he was gone too too early. Um, this is I. This is my favorite scene from Jaws. Um, I think there are great like tension moment scenes, but when. It's the still of night. It's dark. Like, they know what they're on the mission for. And he tells, like, one of the most, like, intimidating, like, daunting stories of, like, the Indianapolis and, like, them delivering the bomb. And the, the thing about the shark is when it bites it, you know, it's so, those eyes are black and soulless. And, um, but when they bite you, they turn over white and you just have this, like, effect on you. It's just, like, some. It's so eerie. You see, like, you see um, Richard Dreyfus and, um, oh, what's his name? Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider. Roy Scheider, like, just, like, captivated by this four-minute speech. And they're, like, over there. And then he's, like, telling about, like, how many men went in the water that day and how many people came out. And the shark got this many. It's just, like, insane. Like, what... The guy was awoken by a tap or whatever, but he was gone from the waist down. Like, it's such, like, this she-shanty, like, vibe of a, like, speech. And then at the end, he, like, takes a drink and was like, oh, we still delivered the bomb. It's just, like, I just love the scene. It just, it's, like, it comes in, like, the hour 30 mark, right? And that beautiful, like, change. You got 30 minutes left of the movie, and it's just, like, we're going to get the shark tomorrow. Like, this is what's going to happen. Like, and it's just, it's beautiful. I love the speech. Yeah, this is 
fantastic. Um, and just what leads up to it, like with them, you know, like they have that moment where they're all kind of finally, you know, they're, they're three very separate different people and they uh, finally start to connect with the, you know, at least uh, Richard Dreyfus and uh, Shaw do with the, you know, the compare the, the scores and everything. And then like it immediately, like they're, they're, they're laughing and having a good time. And then, you know, he asks about tattoo and immediately it sobers up, but just the way the camera zooms at him and Shaw is so good on this. Like he just keeps that like, dead smile on his face while he's telling he's got almost like a like twinkle in his eye and it's, it's, he looks like he's reminiscent about something like good um but he's telling this like horrific nightmare story um and just his voice like that that accent he uses is so good and um it just you you learn like you know he's you know he's before they get on the boat he's barely in the movie like he's just in and out of the movie and you know you get like idea of what he's all about but like this just completely informs the character and i love how he ends it he's like that's i never i swore that moment i'd never put on another life jacket and i love it that how that you know that calls back later when this boat's sinking and he looks over and like he just takes a beat to stare at the life jackets um yeah again this could be a top 10 all time uh, scene easy uh everybody else on uh quint speech and jaws i had the uh the smile you son of a bitch scene, but this almost made the list in its place. Uh, very close between the two, but I just went with the other one. Good pick. Uh, great scene. It's just, it's, it's hard to talk about the scene when it's been talked about like forever. And I'm not saying that that's bad, that it's like, it's a scene that everyone talks about. It's just, I don't know what I would really add to the scene to be like, Oh, this is a great scene because of like this, like we all know this is a great scene. It's one of the best scenes ever. And I would have this on my, like, objective top 100 best things of all time just personally just don't have that connection yeah i mean it's the scene to pick from the movie probably um i love you know watching him sort of relive the entire experience as he's telling the story um yeah robert shaw is great he's my dad's favorite actor so i have been you know watched a lot of his big movies uh, since i was younger um and yeah, the I'll never wear a life jacket again is like great piece of foreshadowing and everything. Like that's that one of those types of lines you're like, you know, that's probably going to come up again. Like that he's going to be put in some situation where he's going to have to test that theory. All right. Uh, that's Cody's 14. So Jake, good news. Your number 18 news? pick very easily top 10 of all time. Yeah. The bad news. Everything comes after is going to be compared to it. So let's go. With your <laughs> Talk about foreshadowing. <laughs> well, okay. Um, just stretch. Number seventeen uh, is the uh, Taki drinks the Kuchi Kamazaki from Your Name. Uh, so spoilers. Oh. I don't know. I'm, I'm gonna not say spoilers for Your Name. I'll keep it fair. Uh, yeah, I, I think Jack's had the, the magic hour sequence, or no. like the. 12th? This is when he drinks the Kuchikanazaki uh, at the end. Yeah, I think, right. I think we're, good. we're good. We're good. Yeah, yeah, no. Yeah. Um, so at this point, Taki's trying to find out the uh, what happened to this town. Uh, it was destroyed by a meteorite, and he's trying to figure out what happened. Um, and so he and a couple friends decide to um, hike to the town to see like what happened. And he finds the dried up lake. And inside this cave, he discovers this Kuchikanazaki, which is basically like a... Like a, a a fancy sake um, that's made through rice and fermenting it in your mouth. Um, and it's a really interesting, delicate process. You, you see it in the movie. And at this point, he's trying to figure out what happened 
with Mitsuwa and Taki, uh, Mitsuwa and he drinks a Kuchi Kamazaki that she made. And it's basically like the animated version of the Stargate sequence from 2001 A Space Odyssey. He has this whole visual psychedelic uh, experience. And throughout the sequence, he sees Mitsuwa from birth, like throughout her life and like what happened to her mother and what happened with her, with her father and why he's so distant from her. And you just have this whole amazing animated sequence that just goes through so much different visuals and ideas all connected by this thread which connects both characters of Mitsuo and Taki and just like the incredible animation like um, I'm a big big fan of Makoto Shinkai like his animation style is really something that I really connect with and he's going to maybe come out next year shout out that um, and just the way he's able to just showcase like his uh, his skills as a as a filmmaker is just like incredible like it's unmatched from an animated filmmaker so uh, as i personally believe um and the whole sequence is just like so beautiful and rewatching it was just like really powerful and i just think the score also just really like elevates how beautiful the scene is and the animation um it's just one of my favorite animated scenes of all time yeah i went back and rewatched this and uh, obviously the first thing i thought of was the uh 2001 uh, sequence and i'm kind of i mean i don't know it's the animation's great um i'm not gonna lie it's, it's a beautiful looking scene um so i kind of understand why you have this higher um yeah i mean and that's what i mean it, it's I, there is some storytelling there with it with the characters and stuff but mostly it's the animation and it does look great so i mean again for me um i'm not going to put this in my top 20 but i know you have a different way of looking at this stuff so um, you know, it makes sense you have it here. Uh, anybody else uh, thoughts on the scene from your name? Uh, this scene is incredible. Uh, there's so many moments from this film that I could have put on this list. Uh, it's my absolute favorite uh, first time watching this year, and the scene was in consideration, but not for very long because I I may or may not have a scene later. We'll see. Great pick. I need to rewatch this movie. It's great. It's absolutely great. I just need to rewatch it. Yeah, it took me a second, but then when you said the 2001 thing, I, it came back to me which scene it was. And honestly, I probably don't remember it. I didn't remember it because that type of scene does not necessarily like resonate with me. Um, we talked about it, I think, with the the Stargate scene a little bit that like it doesn't make me feel anything necessarily and a lot of other scenes in this movie do make me feel things so that's why I would gravitate towards them more but um, it's a fantastic movie so I can't fault you too much for picking anything from it uh, no, it's all right uh, that takes us to uh, Jake your 16 okay so we're still not done with Spider-Man um, I talked about uh, I don't know over a month ago about Uncle Ben's death and how powerful that is. But now we get the, the scene that precedes that, uh, chasing Uncle Ben's killer from the first Spider-Man. I'm waiting for the, yeah. Uh, this whole scene I appreciate you in, waiting for the Ikes, but... <laughs> yeah, I would not. I actually just wanted the banner just to be up, just because I wanted to see what it said. Um, yeah, uh, this is, like, the most, like, you have, like, the energy and the, the anger and the, uh, the, uh, the emotions that Peter's feeling at this moment, like Uncle Ben is dead and he's like, he gets the news that, oh yeah, the car's gone on this street or whatever. And he's like, the anger has like filled his eyes. And as he's running, he's 
putting on the mask and you have the, the, the Danny Elfman music just like kicks in into like overtime, climbs up the wall and you have this whole thing of like, this is him becoming Spider-Man. He's hasn't been, he hasn't been swinging yet. So this is his time to really like learn and he, the whole practice behind it and how he does it. And he doesn't know where he's going. Um, you have to part where he like smashes into the car to grab the, the killer and he shoots him up on the van, he jumps around, it's over the bridge. Like it's just really good stuff. And you have the whole moment between the two and the uh in that whatever that abandoned like building or whatever it is, and you have him just like just smash him through the window, you have him do that a couple of times. Uh just like the real energy, and you have the whole moment when he's like, Did you give my uncle a chance? And then he has him and he sees him in the light and you realize it's the guy that he let through um, at the wrestling place earlier before, like if he had stopped him, uncle Ben would have been alive. And just the way that the flashbacks happen and it just, it's like a camera light with the camera flashes. It's just like, and you have the emotions and you really feel for Peter at this moment. Like, like this is, this is what he has done. Like he's caused this. And then you have him pull the gun and he twists his arm and then he falls out of the, uh, out of the window. It's just really good stuff. Like that's, what I love about the first Spider-Man movie a lot is because it really gets to the idea of Spider-Man and the, his origin story is like one of the most widely known. And the fact that this movie just gets it right, just the fact that it, he is responsible for his uncle's death. You really play that through his origin story in this sequence. And it's just, just it's really fantastic stuff. I saw this with Michael when we were hanging out and, um, at his place and it was just really fun. And we got to really talk about like just what makes the scene really effective. Um, I'm not even. We're talking about the scene. We're not talking about uh, later continuity. We're going to ignore that. We're just looking at the scene as it is, and it's really great. Um, and you have him on the at the Chrysler Building, you know, where he gets to be alone, which they echo in in No Way Home, and um, just yeah, really, really good stuff. I I think the scene is incredible. Well, yeah, you you definitely picked another scene that exists. Um... <laughs> It's, I mean, you could have worked this out. You could have just stopped, you know, with, you know, scene 100, Toby chasing the bus and, you know, went the whole way through to just, just the whole trilogy. That could have been your whole list was just walking us in the trilogy. Um, yeah. Uh, good origin story. Good. They do Spider-Man well. Um, this, I, I, I like, I, I think we talked about this before with the, um, with another scene that you talked about earlier. Uh, uh, just how this mirrors very much like the '80s Spider-Man, his amazing friends, the way they did the origin, uh, which I appreciate because I really love that show. Um, but that said, I mean, come on, Jake, sixteen all time is 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 crazy. It's, I love the um, movie. It's my second favorite movie of all time. I've got to have like multiple scenes of why I love the film. Like, what are you every, talking about? Everybody else on this scene from uh, Spider-Man. Um, yeah, I mean, I've said my thoughts. I I do love the movie. <laughs> Obviously, it's a top one hundred movie for me. Um, this just isn't a scene. Like I think about the scenes around this scene a lot, but there isn't like one moment necessarily from this one that makes it stick out in the movie. I mean, I like it in the sense that I like the entire movie. Um, but I mean, again, rearranging some of the other scenes, I would have rearranged some of the other scenes on your list probably. Uh, yeah, <laughs> solid scene. Uh, nowhere near my top hundred, but good for you, Jake. The passion, the passion sold it, you know. <laughs> it didn't sell it to 16 highest. I would not put it in my line. 
All right. Uh, what's next, Jake? 15. 15. Oh, boy. Um, yeah, this is like total pretentious arty farty phase uh, film bro pick that you would pick if you watched this movie when you're a teenager. Like I did. It's one of my favorite movies ever. It's the Plastic Bag, the syndrome, American Beauty. Um, I, I don't know if, I mean, I, I love this movie a lot. Um, even still, like, I know the whole thing with Spacey's, like, has definitely tainted the film. I can, in, at least for me, I can separate him from the film. Uh, he is obviously a big aspect of the movie and what his character's all about, but this scene is not about him. Um, and this is, like, definitely, like, one of the most, like, I wouldn't say mean, but just, like, it's a scene about a guy talking about a plastic bag and how beautiful the world is and i really honestly just connect to that sort of stuff because it's just like there are moments in life that are so quaint and small and sometimes they people look at them and think of nothing but this character ricky has just like there's beauty like there is beauty in the world and sometimes it's it can be too much for us and sometimes it is something that we can cherish and it gives us a new outlook on life and i think just the philosophy of what ricky's talking about in the scene it's really well done. It's really just interesting, and I like it. And also, I really like the score, the piece of music that plays. I'm a, it's what it may be my favorite film score of all time. I love the Tom Smith score, and it's when what I don't know. Um, I can't read. Um, when it's just like yeah, I just really like what Ricky's talking about and how he just saw beauty for the first time, and how this is like sort of a new outlook for him, and it's just something that I really, really like and, and try to look at that through life in my life and just be like, yeah, there's sometimes there's beauty in this world that is just all around us. Um, and the way he sort of explains it to, um, to Jane is I find really interesting. Um, even still, I love the scene. I love the movie and everything that the movie is really about is um, really interesting to me. And I, it's something that I personally really connect with. So. Yeah. Plastic bag. It's no surprise to me at all that you connect to the scene, Jake, because I went back and watched this and listening to uh, Ricky describe uh, just wax poetic about a piece of garbage blowing around in the wind um, sounded exactly like you talking about the Hulk scene last week. Um, <laughs> so this is the ultimate Jake Marigoni scene. I think I can't watch a scene without thinking of the Family Guy clip. It's just some trash floating around in the, in the wind. Do you have any idea how complicated your circulatory system is? Uh, and I feel like that's me talking to Jake. Like, it's just Eric Bana and Nick Nolte. Have you no, seen more to it. There's more to um, But no, like I said, again, top 15, crazy, but again, it's it's the perfect. It's if, if, I had, if I had to describe Jake Mirgoti or the Jake Mirgoti persona to somebody, this is the scene I would show. <laughs> Never seen it. Saw it once. Thought the movie was solid. Thought the scene was fine. You have to rewatch it as well. I do have to rewatch <laughs> it, but that's not till like end of next year. So, yeah. Whatever that means. Uh, seen it once. Picture this: the fucking best picture. Oh yeah. The the. Am yeah, I just like following them? <laughs> I avoid that show with like the plague. I avoid that show like the plague. Uh, probably the they watch them together. They watch the movies together. It doesn't count. Not, uh, not yeah. true. We haven't yeah. done that not. in weeks. Okay. I haven't remembered that. I don't remember this. All right. Um, that was your 15, so 14, Jake. 
Uh, I think this was Yikes, or this will be Yikes. Um, uh, the ending to Call Me By Your Name. Was this on anyone's name? No? No? Oh, wow. I definitely thought someone had this on the same. Um, anyway. Um, yeah, uh, the ending to this movie is actually, like, I'm I'm someone who doesn't... So, Kurt was talking about how, like, there are scenes that he, like, feels an emotional connection with and, and will cry. I, for some reason, just can't cry at movies. This is the scene that gets the closest for me to actually shed a tear. I remember watching this movie for the first uh, the first time in, in the cinemas back in, I think, Jan 2018. Um, and just the phone call that they have with each other, Elion Oliver, and just that they, they they repeat the whole thing that they have early in the movie of calling each other by their name. And then he's like, I remember everything. And just the whole moment you realize that Elio, who's in love with Oliver, like the entire film, he's moved on, he's getting married. And it's just like this whole thing with him. It's like he doesn't know how to handle it. And he just goes to the fireplace. And it's I think it's it's Christmas. It's Christmas. Because they, they're, even though they're Jewish, they have Christmas because of the month. Um, and he's just at the fireplace. And you just start to see him cry and you start to have the whole, he's devastated by this. Like this relationship that's really like affected him emotionally is now shattered because you'll never be able to really be with Oliver again. And you'll never really truly have that feeling. Um, and the song Suffering Stevens of Visions of Gideon, which I love all the songs or the three Sufan Stevens songs that play in the movie. I really think this one has the emotional connection. Um, Mystery of Love is the best song, but Visions of Gideon and the way it plays in the movie is just so perfectly. Um, and they actually played the scene, uh, they played the, the song during, in the scene, like for, for Charlemagne to like really have that uh, reaction with it. And just the fact that while that scene plays, the, the credits just start coming up and you think there's going to be an, a resolution, but this is just how it ends in the credits. And it just holds on this one shot of him at the fireplace, just just fully devastated and crying. And it just plays throughout the entire credits. It's just uh, really powerful stuff. Um, it's a scene that I, and I, when I rewatched the scene in the, for it was like a Valentine's Day thing a couple years ago, the women, the girls next to me were like in full tears crying during the credits. And I just thought that that's like such a powerful thing for this movie to be able to really accomplish. And as far as like emotional connection, this is one of my favorites. So, yeah. I haven't seen the movie. Um, I haven't seen the movie. Um, I watched the scene four years ago, um, so I don't know if I have. You know, I'm probably missing something with the context. Um, what, the, the, the <laughs> you think? Cell, the, I mean, I know, I know the the, the gist of the story, um, but the scene itself is fine. Um, you know, <laughs> it's it, it's it's there. Um, I mean, the one thing I do like, and I could tell, even not knowing everything that happened. Um, like you said, how it's like it's just ending and things are going on. Like he's sitting there crying, and people just—I don't know if it's family or who it is—but they just come up behind him, like start setting the table, and like life is just going on. Um, I kind of—I appreciate that. I like that about it. Uh, I thought that was a cool little touch. I feel like you are missing a huge amount of like the connect, the, the emotional connection that these characters has by only just watching the scene. Like mm-hmm. there is, yeah. I, mean, I guess I can't—I can't speak clearly to it, but right. Uh, I, mean, I mean, you're just saying that the scene is fine is a is harsh. The scene is fine because the movie itself is just fine. I watched this movie twice. I have never gotten the like love and admiration of this movie. I just don't get it. I've tried. Um, yeah, 
I just don't understand it. And you know what? The ending, that's fine, because if it was as powerful as he described it, which, Jake, if you just describe it to me, I think I connect to the movie a little bit more than the actual scene does for me, because the scene doesn't do that. So, yeah, this movie's just, okay. That's fine. I haven't seen it. Um, <laughs> yeah, it kind of is, actually. I like, don't love the movie, but, um, yeah, it is a great scene. Um, you know, I think Timothy Chalamet is a great actor and, you know, he gets to show some skills here. Um, I do think it is kind of similar to the portrait of a lady on fire scene a little bit that I have, except I like the way that that scene changes. Whereas I think this one kind of remains a little bit stagnant. Um, so I don't know what Cody's doing, but by Scott's point, Kirk, I am a hundred percent correct. He just compared it to Portrait of Leonardo. We are perfect. This is not for you. Run. I think the difference is in Call Me by Your Name. Something happens in the movie before that scene. They do talk. They do talk. They do talk. I think it's my turn now. Uh, <laughs> yes, it is. Number seventeen, Scott. Speaking of talking, uh, one of the scenes with the most talking of any other scene, uh, it was the yikes earlier. It's the opening scene of The Social Network. Yeah, which I had somewhere. Boatman uh, loves you right now. <laughs> so, I mean, it's a great scene for a minute. Nice. Which you've been talked about before, but, you know, on, on one level, the dialogue is, you know, Sorkin at his motor mouth, like, peak. It's very fun to listen to. It's very sharp. It's very witty. Um, also, though, I think it is kind of, like, meta a little bit because um, the characters themselves are not even able to keep up with each other. Because there's, like, a weird structural thing that is going on with their dialogue where it's, like, one person brings up topic A, and then the other person responds by bringing up topic B. And then the other person responds to topic B and then the other person responds to topic A. And so they're like, it, their brains are working like five seconds behind, basically. Um, it, it doesn't make a lot of sense when I describe it properly, but when you watch the scene, um, it probably makes a little bit more sense. But um, it's, you know, it's, it's, so it's really fun to listen to on that level. The line that Erica gets when she walks away of like, you know, you're going to go through life thinking the girls don't like you because um you're a nerd or whatever but uh yeah i'm here to tell you that that's not what it is it's because you're an asshole um it's a great line um also though it sets up mark's character so perfectly um because he is so obsessed with status right like he's talking about getting into the the final club that he wants and like that's all he can think about um and he's you know he's become obsessed with it he is a little bit of a misogynist right because he is telling her, oh, the only reason we got to go in here in the first place is because you used to sleep with the door guy. And she's like, I didn't sleep with the door guy. He's a friend of mine. Um, and it, it's just setting up all of the gross attitudes of Mark Zuckerberg that will lead to the creation of Facebook just mere moments later. And the idea, again, which has aged very, very well, that um, this you know white dude can be so insecure about getting broken up with that the only way he knows how to respond is like to go freaking first whine about it on his blog, but then to create an entire social media empire uh, just so he can feel good about himself again. And that, you know, that's coming full circle um, at the end of the movie when he's sitting there and, you know, refreshing the friend request to her. So it sets up, every, you know, it sets up uh, a through line that gets 
you know, that remains throughout the entire movie and then gets closed in the final scene. So it's one of the best opening scenes um, from an entertaining standpoint, but also like from a storytelling standpoint. And Jake had it. Um, I had this at 73. Uh, yeah, basically, Scott said everything of why this scene is so fantastic. Just the fact that it sets up so much of why uh mark is the way he is the fact that he says like i want to do something that will get me into this club but he mentions as eduardo you see the relationship essentially just deteriorate throughout this entire scene of like they seem pretty good but then as it goes on it just gets worse and worse until the point where yeah erica says that you're you're an asshole um and just the whole way it builds up and you just see pretty much just every side of what type of character mark is i just think is so perfect um it's one of my favorite openings to a movie, and it really just sets what you're going to be expecting from this type of movie. It's just like the quick dialogue, just the way that Sorkin writes is just like, yeah, it's like 4D chess, the way he sets up, like the way Scott was saying, just so much ideas and opinions and of like, oh, wait, we're going back to what was said before, but now we're going to set this next thing up. It's just uh, really fantastic stuff. Um, perfect. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't love this scene. Um, I think you need the right actor uh, for Sorkin's dialogue to work. And Eisenberg is uh, uh, definitely not the right actor. Um, There's literally no one in the world that I don't hate right now. I, um, I, take. I, uh, I honestly feel like if, he was, if he's holding his script in front of him in the scene and just doing this and reading along... It would not change the scene at all. Um, I think it it just sounds. And I, this for me, this is a problem with the entire movie. Um, but I think this scene highlights it. Um, yeah, I, he's just not my guy. And um, I mean, I, I I can enjoy the movie despite him. Um, but like I said, this scene specifically is just like ugh. like it's it's Sorkin. Like because of as uh, because of uh, his performance, you can see behind. Like when circuit dialogues works, it's it's quick and it's smooth and it's cool and like everybody's into it. Like when you put put it in the uh, ends of an actor like him, like you see behind the curtain, like you see all like the the moving parts, like not in a good way. Like you see what like it's you see just it's it's not very good. With, with, again, it's 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 his fault. Um, it's not Sorkin's fault. It's his fault. But um, I don't appreciate this scene very much because of that. Everybody else on uh, social network, we didn't see it. I've never heard anybody say that Heisenberg doesn't. You don't think he works well with Sorkin style yeah. in yeah. this movie? Have you seen the Trial of Chicago Seven? No. Yeah, perfect in that movie. <laughs> you got actors that can do it. Just That's wild to me. That I think dialogue. Sorkin's dialogue is the one thing in this movie. Like, is the one thing that makes me tolerate Heisenberg because he's so good. Dialogue's bad. I'm saying because of the character he plays as well. Like, well, right, but he's, he's able to portray the character. You can't put, oh, well, you can't put another actor in Eisenberg's shoes in this movie and have that same scene or I same movie. Right. Like, you what way be better if you put another actor in that scene? I'm gonna kill myself. That's wild. I've never disagreed like so hard on something in a long time. That's that's just dumb. That's just dumb. Um. I think he's. Uh, this is his best he's ever been. The opening gets a lot more credit than I give it. I don't love the opening. I think it's. I think it's a great start. I think it sets. I think this is really high for it. But I love like when he's like, "Well, you don't have to try hard. You're going to, like when he just puts his foot in his mouth and he's just like, 
it sets who he is. Um, again, I think his dialogue and his performance in the movie set his career down a downward spiral because he's never been able to achieve anything beyond this. Like, this is who he's become. So, overall, um, great scene I, for me. Like, I don't love it as much as the other scenes. Like, I still love the scene where he, like, they should be thanking me. Like, just when he hacks into the thing, like, I, they should, you should be happy. Like, this scene's good, though. I, I will give you that. Cody, what about American Ultra, though? That was a top one. Ooh, when he talks to the tree? Brilliant. Brilliant. <coughs> Who goes to the time? Oh, you, that is just, yeah. Multiplex. <laughs> you imagine what the, the channel? Was. The channel was in school? That's so wild. <laughs> Who isn't by the channel? Yeah, great scene. It wasn't on my list. I had the I'm coming back for everything scene, but this was in contention for a while. Uh, yeah, no, y- y'all covered it. Great, great, great choice. You're right. I did cover it. Thank you, Jack. Uh, Scott, what is your number 16? Uh, all right. My number 16, it's the newest scene on my list, I believe. It's uh, John Peters, a.k.a. Bradley Cooper, and the van from Licorice Pizza. Um. So I, I guess I would say there's kind of like two scenes involving Bradley Cooper. The first one is just like his introduction, and then this would be part two, um, which is when they've gone into his home and they have decided they're going to mess with him by like leaving the hose running when they are setting up his water bed because he was like talking. He was like threatening Gary's brother, basically. And so, you know, they do it and they're driving away, presumably like flooding the house and they're driving away in the van and they're like, oh, we did it like, you know, they're celebrating because they got away. And then, I mean, I stand by that it might be the funniest shot of the whole movie where all of a sudden the van just stops. And like over the hill, we just see him just like walking like in a huff. John Peters walking in a huff. And it's like completely inexplicable as to why he would like be there, why he would be walking up. Like because he's supposed to be going to a party or something. I can't even remember um, where he's supposed to be, but he's supposed to be somewhere like way in another part of town. And they all just like freeze, like, oh my gosh, we're about to get caught, and this guy's a psycho, and he's going to murder all of us. Um, and then, of course, he is a psycho, but he doesn't go to his house. He doesn't realize they end up like dropping him at the gas station. Um, and then they decide to go back and destroy his car, basically. And it becomes like this harrowing sequence where, again, it's it's what Paul Thomas Anderson can do so well. I, m- I mentioned that Boogie Tonight sequence sequence earlier, but blending the comedy and then the tension, like in the drop of a a hat like this goes from being a really like hilarious absurd scene to like they now have to back all the way down this mountain with no gas and it you're like holding your breath because bradley cooper could come back in any minute and like you know kill them all um and it's great that it's like almost silent scene of alana like backing all the way down the, the hill and you know the van and then they finally they they do it they get to the gas station basically they make it just basically on coasting and gary's just like oh and they're all just like going crazy like that was so sick blah, blah, blah. Um, and then i love everything that happens after like immediately after this but it's not really part of the scene so i won't get into it but it's it's the centerpiece of the movie it's the standout scene i mean it's such a great movie overall but um it's you know a classic pta scene and bradley cooper's performance is just uh you know such a lightning bolt in the movie uh, yeah, Bradley Cooper. I, I like the movie, but Bradley Cooper is definitely the best part of it. Um, every scene, and he's not like you said, he's not that much, but every scene he's in is just he just steals it. 
And yeah, this is great. Like you said, the tension, because I just hate like, I hate driving big vehicles in tight spaces. That's like, just like something that just caused me anxiety and watching them have to do that on screen out of gas just kills me. And then him coming up and like it being, like you said, it's, it's, it's scary because what he's going to do, but it's funny. Cause like over oh, this party or whatever. Um, no, I love this scene. Yeah. Like you said, it's, it's a, it's a new one. Um, but it's, uh, I'm just thinking if this would be the one of his scenes I'd put on the list, but yeah, I mean, anyone would be great. Uh, anybody else on, uh, the van scene from Licorice Pizza? Great scene. Absolutely terrifying when she's going down, the uh, down the cliff backwards. Uh, I, that's always terrifying. And the fact that she actually did that is really cool. Um, yeah. Bradley Cooper's just great in the whole sequence. It's just like the one scene wonder sort of thing, like with Sean Penn. Um, it's really, really good stuff. I like it. I don't know if I would ever put it on my top 100. I like this. I like the movie a lot, but um, yeah, definitely understand why it's high on Scots, to be fair. Great scene. Great scene. I haven't seen the movie. I've been meaning to. I just haven't gotten around to it. There's a fair few PTA movies I want to see before this, but uh, yeah. But how many so. PTA films haven't you seen? What ones have you uh, seen? I've only seen Heart Eight, There Will Be Blood, and the, a third of Boogie Nights. That's it. Which third? Right, uh, Scott, the first 15. third. I started it okay. and I fell asleep because I was exhausted. <laughs> I don't know how you could fall asleep in that movie. But anyway, uh, number 15, uh, I have the cooking Ramdan sequence from Parasite. So this is the moment when, um, you know, shit has gone down, but then the the Kim's basically calling her like, oh, hey, we're coming home. And, you know, earlier than expected from their camping trip. And um all of a sudden the parks now have to like clean everything up of course the the maid and her husband are upstairs and they're you know psycho and uh and whatnot so they have to you know they're like sweeping everything the music kicks in and it's just like you know you're about to see a sick montage and the music kicks in and they're like you know sweeping everything under the table they're adjusting all the furniture they're like pushing the the you know housekeeper and her wife like back and her husband back down the stairs like trying to keep them down there all all while the mother is trying to cook this ramdan and have it waiting because you know she has seven minutes or whatever until they get home um and to have it you know sitting there perfectly and waiting um and so there's so much going on again it's it's so fun to watch with the music and it all the, like every shot is it, it's choreographed like a freaking Swiss watch the way that that um, Bong Joon Ho directs the scene. But then, of course, the final uh, you know twisted laugh that happens in the end, which sums up I think the tone of the movie, the perfect tone of the movie, is you know right when they walk in and the the housekeeper has like gotten away and is trying to climb back up the stairs. And right as she gets to the top of the stairs, and right as Mrs. Kim is about to turn around, you know, uh, the mother kicks her back down the stairs and she, you know, vaults into the wall and cracks her head. Doesn't die, but could have easily died. Um, and then, of course, the ironic twist that happens is that, like, no one even wants to eat the Ramdan except for um, Mrs. Kim, I believe it is. So um, it's, yeah, it, it's a perfect, like, little three-minute capsule of what makes this movie so great. Yeah, I need to go back back and rewatch this whole movie. Um, but this is probably the best scene 
in the movie just because like it's you know they've they've kind of just been building up to this whole thing of you know just walking the line of you know faking faking this family out and staying one step ahead and it's all about to fall apart and like you just had the the whole reveal of uh the family you know downstairs a couple downstairs um and dealing with them adding that extra layer uh so yeah uh great like you said just just the camera work and the choreography and the cinematography of how everything moves and how everybody's they're all kind of as chaotic it is they're all kind of in sync with with each other um making the thing happen so it's pretty cool uh everybody else on this scene from parasite uh yeah this scene is fantastic uh it was in contention for my list among two other scenes from parasite the uh, montage that i think we, we talked about earlier and uh the impromptu birthday party scene but i couldn't <laughs> come to a decision which one i liked more and i eventually just didn't end up putting any of them on but that's okay uh i'm so glad you had the scene it's fantastic great pick scott <laughs> I'm waiting for Kurt to speak. Oh. Uh, you're waiting for me to speak? Why? I don't want to end the scene with you talking about, oh, the movie's fine. Like I don't, don't get the connection. I want to be the one to end movie's the scene. Movie's No, I think the, I brought up the scene earlier because this is the last, like, is this the scene you're talking about? Because I like this scene a lot more than the one you brought up, whoever brought it up. I think it's a great scene. It's the one I always remember from the movie. I... Again, I haven't connected as much as like everybody else, but I think it's a great scene overall. So, yeah, great choice. 15, maybe a little high, would never make my list, but it's literally the one that jumps right to my mind. So, yeah, good choice. Uh, in my honest opinion, there is no scene too high to have from Parasite on someone's top 100. Um, this is a great sequence. This whole part where they're in the house and then the whole family's coming home with and you got the whole shit with the housemaid and, and the husband uh, it's great stuff and the fact that it becomes like a i don't know what like it becomes a completely different movie at this point the fact that they're hiding under the couch and you have the the, the, the husband and the wife are having sex like while they're just under the couch like, and the and the table that just is like that is a situation i don't know how i would be able to handle that sort of stuff um but the way that the whole scene just plays out is just like it it's two bong juice strengths that he's just can play with genres and you just don't know what you're gonna expect and uh this is uh, an amazing sequence i had seven scenes from parasite uh in contention for my top 100 and i decided to go for the one that i think is the most like uh uplifting <laughs> i don't know like the most incredible scene that i experienced at least um but this is a fantastic scene and 15 is no way too high for someone's top 100. jack did you talk about it Yes. He okay, did. that was 14, right? No, I know that was 13, 15. so you're 14. Yeah, uh, my 14 is one of the great endings. It's the final scene of The Taking of Pelham 123, 1974. Um, so this is where uh, Walter Matthau's character has gone to the apartment. Oh, has Jake never seen it? Wow. Of Martin Balsam. Um, who is the last remaining uh, hijacker that has not been caught or killed yet. Um, and Martin Balsam, um, it, they, ha they have like this interaction um, where he, you know, he's, he's asking him, what were you doing tonight? And, you know, he's uh, playing it off and uh, he kicks the money. He has a little bit of money that's laying out and he kicks it under the table. And, you know, you're wondering, did Mathal see it or not? Um, 
And I forget, there, there's some line that Matthew has that he perfectly delivers. I mean, he perfectly delivers about every single line um, that his character has in this movie. Um, but then, you know, he goes into the, the kitchen to light the other cop's cigarette or light Jerry Stiller's cigarette. And, you know, presumably what happens is, uh, I mean, I guess Walter Matthau, maybe he discovers the money. I don't know. But anyway, they decide they're going to leave. And um, as they literally walk out the door, Martin Balsam sneezes. And of course, during the entire movie, um, one of the hijackers was sneezing on the radio. And so um, and so every time it happened earlier in the movie, um, Walter Matthau would say Gesundheit. And so by sneezing, Martin Balsam gives himself away. And then the last shot is... He doesn't even say Gazoon, or maybe he does say Gazoon I don't even remember. But he opens the door and you see his face and like his facial expression in the crack in the door is just unbelievable. Um, like that that it's it's a painting, and that is how the movie ends. Like it just cuts to black after that. He does say Gazoon But um so it's a perfect, like it is maybe like one of the greatest Chekhov's guns, like in any movie of like setting that up early in the movie and then the payoff is just like a slot machine like it it is perfect like you cannot have a better final moment final shot than that of um him getting caught in his you know by the most innocuous thing just by a sneeze yeah what i love about this movie is like it's like this dark crime drama um and you know robert you know robert shaw again he's great you know and he's scary and like the whole like heist heist scene and everything in the subway is like terrifying but whenever Walter Matthau's on scene, it's just a Walter Matthau movie, and um, you know th- this just just for this, uh, you know, like you said that scene where he he opens that door and it's just him and that hound dog Walter Matthau look. And for a movie with like murder and violence and all this stuff to end like that is just so great. And the scenes, fed, I love you know Martin Balsam's really good in it. Just like he's like schlubby, like he's been like kind of just like sucked into this whole thing. Didn't want to be a part of it. And you got, um, you know, Jerry Stiller in the background as the as the, as the cop. Um, you know, he's like a nice supporting character in this, and like him, he's in the scene. Um, so yeah, this is not something I expected you to have on your list. Um, I see from you, and um, but yeah, it's a great pick, great ending. Uh, everybody else on the ending of Pelham One Two Three. I haven't seen the movie. I muted because I didn't want it spoiled for me. Uh, so yeah, I'm excited to see it. Kind of ticked off the, kind of ticked off. I didn't include this one. It's a great, great scene. This movie is awesome. Both versions not terrible. Um, one with Denzel, but I definitely prefer this one. Uh, definitely watch this one over the other one. Um, but it's fantastic and like it's, it's one that when you don't remember and then somebody brings it up, you're like, oh, like that when you hear about it, it just it brings back. It's a great choice. Great choice. I'm kind of surprised that you had it on there. Not saying this is like out of the realm, but it's just not to the line. The line that I was thinking of earlier, and this isn't a spoiler, but um, Mathel says like, "Oh, there was a a subway train was robbed earlier today," and he's like, "A subway? Are you kidding me?" He goes, "Do I look like I'm kidding you? Would I be here if I was kidding you?" And that's a perfect like moment for his character of like he's just he doesn't want to be doing any of this, right? He is just the subway guy basically yeah. and he's gotten way in over his head and now it's the end of this long day and he's like at this random dude's apartment he does not want to be there all right um that was 14 for scott so we're going back for the final three 
Uh, Jack, what is your number 13? All right. Uh, my number 13. Hey, look at that. It's another Lord of the Rings scene. It's uh, Sam's monologue from uh, uh, Two Towers. There this, are... this is what you bring from the Two Towers? Just wait. Just wait. Look. No, it's not the Battle of Helm's Deep. I can't put... Why is it not the Hel Battle of Helm's Deep? I... I'm not going to put an hour-long set piece uh, that's incredible, don't get me wrong, that has a lot of great moments. This scene, though, really speaks to me as to why I love this film. You get the, you get the Battle of Helm's Deep in this at the end. You get the last March of the Ends, and you have Sam's beautiful monologue where he's saying uh, that even when the night seems darkest... Uh, even darkness too shall pass and the day will shine all the clear clearer. I have got to rewatch that scene. I revisit it constantly. It's not some big bombastic moment uh, in this. There's literally no, no, it's, it's not some big bombastic moment in this movie. That's, that's like an incredible action set piece. It's a smaller, quieter moment uh, where of self-reflection for Sam and Frodo and it's just a beautiful moment to see on screen. I love this scene so much. Uh, every time I see this movie I I can't help but tear up every time uh, this scene comes on. Just a, a beautiful moment. I get it. It's not the Battle of Helm's Deep. That I didn't. There's a scene. There, there's a there's a few scenes from other movies that I didn't put on here for the same reason of it's just it's basically just the third act of the movie but no this scene is fantastic i can't recommend this film enough if you somehow still haven't seen it but uh <laughs> this scene it, it just it's 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 the scene from the movie for me okay get out of the way uh 13 way too high for this um i don't blame you like i, I agree with you that helms like carving out a piece of Helm's Deep to consider the best scene would be too hard. Um, and I've talked about my opinions on uh, Lord of the Rings. I won't go deep into that. Um, but I love this stuff from Lord of the Rings. Like the stuff that like this is like like this and Gandalf's speech, you know, speech to Frodo with their in uh, the Mines of Moria. Um, just the, that, that, that like uplifting in the darkness kind of stuff. That's like, so like, I don't know if this is from the book or not, but it feels, if it's not Tolkien, it feels very Tolkien. Um, so uh, if I knew you're you're obviously going to have one from this movie on here. Um, I don't hate the pick from this movie. Uh, everybody else saw this speech from Two Towers. I don't remember the scene. You know what I do remember? The Battle at Helm's Deep. I remember like a lot of that scene. So what if the scene's an hour? Scenes can be 30 seconds long. They can be an hour long. And there's a reason why people talk about the Helm's Deep sequence because it is a masterclass of like action filmmaking. What they did for that whole sequence, I think it's crazy that this isn't the scene. That is my opinion. I will admit, but this is the scene that everyone talks about is the Helm's Deep with the two towers. I don't remember Sam's speech. I've only seen the trilogy once, and that was like five years ago. But I still think that I remember Helm's Deep. That's my whole thing, I guess. I remember five years later. You either put Helms Deep or you put two scenes from another movie. You don't put anything else from Two Towers. Two Towers is my favorite Lord of the Rings movie. I love this movie. 
And guess what? Guess what's not on my list? A pick from this movie. Because there's only one to pick. Of course you pick Samwise fucking speech bitching and moaning about something. I don't care. There's not a battle that's happening that's the best part of the entire trilogy almost. Oh my gosh, Jack. We all know you're the Lord of the Rings person. Well, you're not the Lord of the Rings person. You're the second Lord of the Rings person? Yeah. Because I have met Tim Burkala, and he has it in his actual home. Um, like, he has, he's bought more copies than he needs to. Like, no, he has the Lord of the Rings. He wears it. It's weird. Not weird, but he likes it or whatever. Um, but on that note, yeah, this is a bad pick. This is a bad pick. Jack, you disappoint. You disappoint everybody. How you feel? Yeah. Uh, Anything, I don't care. Anything else new to add to that or no? Uh, I, I've been disappointing everyone for 21 years. I'm not going to change now. <laughs> Scott, did you pass. talk? I pass. said pass. All right. Uh, so that takes it to Cody's 12. Uh, to Cody's 13, I'm sorry. Well, we've talked about my number two movie of all time. I thought I'm talking about my number one. You want to be me? From the department. You want to be me. Nicholson's speech with DiCaprio. Um, the rat scene, as most people might know it. There's a non-teeth and fucking rat. By the way, what you need to make a great scene from the department, you need somewhat Boston accents. You need Jack Nicholson on a ton of coke. And Leonardo DiCaprio. And then some Ray Winston thrown in there at the end. The scene all starts as um, Frank is finally like, there's a rat in his group. He is going to flesh it out. He has them at the table. <clears throat> and he basically sits there with Leo um, Costigan, William Costigan, and basically is asking him, like, you got something you want to tell me? Like, do you know who the rat is? All this stuff. And it's the one scene like Leo is unhinged because he's uncomfortable the entire Like he doesn't know how to talk his way out there. So he's like, he's talking like there's people that are wanting to take him out. And like he's very on edge. He ends up dropping a gun at one point and like, oh, sorry. And then puts it on the table and it like freaks Leo. Leo's body language in the scene is like under, like not talked about enough. He is freaking the fuck out and you can see it. And it's got like one of my face. Like he's like, who who can do what you can do better than you? Like who who's out there? Like you know. And he just basically says, no one can do what I can do. You know, I haven't needed money since I stole Archie's milk money in the third grade. Um, um, and he goes just through this giant speech. Like he's he looks completely unhinged, and he's. I love his acting for. I think it's. I think he's so good. Again, when we talked about performances on previous Top 100, I wouldn't put anybody from this movie like over because I think the ensemble is what works in this movie. But this scene is the scene that I draw back to The Departed every time. Is is just him, Leo trying to talk his way out, and Frank's beyond reason with talking with. That's the downfall of Frank Costello. It's basically he dies from what this did to him. He he becomes careless and he doesn't listen to anybody and he's Leo's basically pointing everything out to him in the scene and he just doesn't hear any of it um 
<clears throat> yeah, so you want to meet me from the park. Uh, we won't discuss the movie. We're talking about the scene. Oh. Um, scene's fine. Um, okay. It's a good I'll take scene. that from you. But, um, I mean, they're, they're both doing good work in it, but I don't look at this scene and think, like when I think of DiCaprio or Nicholson and great scenes in their filmography, this is not something I think of. Um, when I think of great scenes in Scorsese, this isn't the first thing that comes to mind. I hope this isn't your, your I hope this is your top Scorsese scene. I'll be very sad if it is. God, you just your um, knife just twist really deep inside sometimes. <laughs> um but again, like I said, not a bad scene. Um thirteen super high. I mean if you'd had this like in the fifties or sixties, like okay. And it's not my top Scorsese. It's so, not my top Scorsese. Uh, that makes you feel better. Uh everybody else thought you want to beat me. Chrissy? Thanks. Fantastic scene. It was on my list for a while, fell off, but yeah, no, great pick, Cody. Yeah, I think of a few other scenes from this movie. First, the one thing I do remember about this one is the faces that Jack Nicholson is making because they're like, yeah, <laughs> they're something. Um, so you kind of, however you feel about that, I guess, is how you feel about the scene. I think it can kind of take, take it or leave some of that stuff, but it's a great movie. All right, uh, Jake's 13. Uh, 13. We, I think we had one scene from Donnie Darko. We're going to get another one. Um, I, think this scene just, I love this scene. This is, is a great scene, and it doesn't get talked about enough. Um, the head over heels going to school, that whole sequence in Donnie Darko. For a tip here. Not just sure. go ahead. Um, yeah, basically, Donnie is that this is the first time we're seeing the school that Donnie goes to, and and and, and everyone's there and with his friends. Um, this whole sequence is just so fucking incredible. The way it's they designed it, they did not come up with this pre. This is not pre-planned. They came up with this on the day they filmed it, and I really love that idea of just tears for fears. I'm a big fan of them. Head over heels, a great song by them. Starts with Donnie coming out of the bus heading into school as the song plays. And it just really gets you back into the late 80s sort of aesthetic, what's going on in uh, high school in that time. Um, and the way it just camera follows Donnie and his friends, we see them. You see, basically, it sets up so many characters of what's of at the school. You set up Seth Devlin, the bully, played by Alex uh, Greenwood from Phantom Planet. Shout out, Michael. Um, you get Gretchen, who's just moved in. You got Seth Rogen, who's just taking cocaine, and the principal's just walks by and is oblivious to this. You get you set up Kitty Farmer and her um her motivational beliefs with Jim Cunningham. You set up Drew Barrymore and um, Dr. Monotov and and that their relationship. You set up uh, Sparkle Motion. You got um Samantha dancing um the whole um choreography that she's doing with the friends. It just sets up everything for the movie done in like the very incredible like steady cam shots you got that one mirror shot of, of uh, jenna malone as a new student and we watched that for the first time you don't know who that is but you know she's important for the movie um just really great stuff and i love the song and that way it plays into the theme and uh is really fucking great stuff um just it's it's yeah it's beautiful it's great it's uh it's awesome i love it perfect great scene it's good yeah, I mean, it's a good scene. Like, it's it's filmed well. Like, I like the cam work in it. Um, it's tough, Jake, because like you have a scene that's like pretty good. I don't know how to respond to it. Um, like, 
Wait, wait, say that again. Say it again. I just want to hear that you said that. I said when you have a, J a C that's pretty good, I'd respond to it. Like, a, well, it's like I'm grading you on the curve. Okay, it's like yeah. if you know, <laughs> but uh, no, I like I, I don't have. I've seen Donnie Darko. I really don't have any connection to it. Um, I I don't remember the details of any of the characters. Um, but I mean, like I said, it's it's shot well, and it's you know the the mu the way it works, the music and everything. That said, thirteen is very high for the record everybody, this is my favorite movie ever i i understand everybody else on uh donnie dark head over heels um i went and rewatched it while we were sitting here to remind myself what it was um yeah this seems great actually um i kind of upset at myself for, for forgetting about it. not necessarily for my list but just forgetting the scene when jake was talking about it um but it's a great choice of song. Like it's the type of thing that would not work if you chose the wrong song. It would just be really clunky. Um, and it's also like a, just a really cool way of stylizing like what would otherwise be a basic scene in this movie of like just, you know, the characters going to school. You've seen this scene a thousand times. And um, like Jake said, you get at least a sort of visual introduction to a lot of the characters. So um, it's very inventive and I like it a lot. I haven't seen the movie. I don't recall the scene off the top of my head. I didn't have. To, I didn't go back and watch it, but uh, I remember the last one. I need to revisit Donnie Darko in general. Stop listening to your sister. <laughs> All right, Scott, you're number thirteen. All right, my number thirteen is Atticus's closing argument from To Kill a Mockingbird. Jack. Are you gonna yikes it or not? No, like no, I, no, no. Okay. <laughs> There's a, no. Okay. He looks like he's suffering some emotional damage over there, but um, <laughs> I think this scene is amazing. Obviously, I think. Well, if it wasn't for another scene, this would be like the greatest courtroom scene um, in a movie. Um, I, sh I also this is another one like the my cousin Vinny scene that I will show to my students. So like perfect way to do a closing argument, but. Atticus, you know, he addresses the actual charges against Tom Robinson, the fact that, oh, yeah, he's not guilty. But that's not all that he talks about, because it's obvious he's not guilty. He knows that the case is going to be decided on something different, right, which is can the jurors put aside their prejudices and, you know, do what is right in the name of justice. And this is where he really gets to, like, say everything that he and everyone else, like the, you know, the town at least the, you know, the black people who are sitting upstairs and Scout and Jim and like, that they want him to say the whole time. Um, and he gets to just like call a spade a spade. Um, and, you know, he, he describes what he believes is, is the situation that's going on, right? Which is Mayella Yule um, committed like this unforgivable sin in the eyes of society, which was kissing a black man, which was kissing Tom Robinson. Um, and therefore, you know, her father has now sort of abused her into, um, to, you know, coming up with this false story uh, about what actually happened. And, you know, he has the great line of like, Tom Robinson is not guilty, but someone in this courtroom is. Um, and, you know, he, he really goes into it and he really, I love the way that he tries to like empower the jury of like, you know, you guys know what is going on here, but you guys are better than like you know you you guys um are going to be able to sift through all of the other things that they want you to consider that you know really just one thing which is race um 
and you're going to be able to see to the truth of this, which is that Tom Robinson is not guilty. And then that last moment where he's like, in the name of God, do your duty. And it's like the most emotion that we see Atticus show the entire movie. And you can just see how, you know, he's, he is so stoic and everything throughout most of the movie and so composed even during the trial, but you can see how much it means to him and how much that this, you know, case and situation has gotten to him in that one moment. Um, and then, you know, he sits down and it's, it's so powerful. It's mesmerizing to watch. Like you can't take your eyes off of Gregory Peck. who's giving one of all time performances um, in that seven minute um, scene. So I had to have this high on my list. Uh, yeah. There's a couple of scenes from this movie um, you could have had here and you would have been wrong. Um, so yeah, I mean, top 15 is, 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 is a great spot for this. Um, yeah, like you said, I mean, throughout the, all the scenes of the trial, like he's basically just being like meticulous, like this, you know, he's pointing out facts and he knows he has to like break everything down if he has a chance. Um, but here he's like you said, it just the, the, the more the emotion comes out. And I think there's a subtext here. Um, there's underlying thing where like he knows they don't have a chance, like the, the, just yeah. the, the, this whole culture, this whole world is so against them, um, against Tom that there's no like so it's almost like i don't know i, I don't want to say this wrong it's not he's it's not a performance but it's like he just say like it's like he has to get this on the record the these things have to be out there even though it's all going to be for not like it's it, it's important that someone says yeah. these things and he's hoping that maybe he as you know being a powerful well-respected white person in the community mm -hmm. if he you know maybe he can connect with just one person even yeah. if it's not one of the jurors you know yeah. somebody there is going to resonate with mm -hmm. what he's saying and i love the reactions uh from a lot of people especially the girl that plays uh uh loretta yule mayella yeah mayella real yeah just her watching um as he like breaks breaks this down it basically breaks her down mm -hmm. and you just watch her face and by the time she he's done she just completely slack jaw and she, i mean she's 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 in the background like you, it's real easy to miss um if you if you watch the scene and didn't know the movie you wouldn't even know that she's she's the person he's talking about um they don't focus on it at all but you just see her like by the time it's over she is just devastated and destroyed because everything he said is absolutely true um so yeah fantastic scene um definitely belongs this spot uh nobody else had it anybody else want to talk about it it's been so, a while since it's been so i just forgot about this yeah. So one thing I just want to address, uh, I was uh, texting with my dad when you had uh, uh, asked if I was going to yikes it. Uh, so I've seen the play. I haven't seen the movie, but I love the play. So I've got a feeling I'm really, really, really going to love the movie. I'll see that in a few weeks. So are you talking about the Sorkin adaptation, like the modern play? Version? Yeah. Yeah. I saw that when I went to New York. Well, you uh, should you year. should love the movie then because it's way better. <laughs> Probably. But I haven't seen it. So. Wow! All right, great. Um, haven't uh, great scene, great, absolutely great scene. Uh, was in consideration for my list for a while. All right, uh, Jack, number twelve. All right, uh, my number twelve is the interrogation scene from The Dark Knight. Yeah, this scene is fantastic. It's the it's the face to face uh, meeting between. Batman and Joker. Uh, Joker's been arrested uh, and he's in this uh, interrogation room. Uh, Jim Gordon uh, 
tries to get him to talk, but uh, Joker's not cooperating. So he leaves the room. Then the lights turn on and Batman's behind him, smacks his head on, on the table. And uh, Joker's first line, he says to Batman, you never start with the head. It gets all fuzzy and can't feel the next. And then Batman uh, hits him in the hand. And he's like, see, I, I love Heath Ledger's performance in this scene. This is the best showcase of Ledger's talents in this film. Joker is an absolutely unhinged, cold, calculating character and that is at the absolute forefront in this scene uh so many great lines uh in the scene where uh one of them oh shit so many great lines in this scene and i had one in my head and as i was about to say it, it just it, it's gone but that's okay i'm very very tired it's i'm not a monster i'm just the head of the curve thank you that's one you yeah, thank you. That's that's one. That's why you never start with the head. Everything gets so fuzzy. Yeah, so, yeah I said that one already. And it's it, this scene is perfect. It's the perfect face to face uh, meeting between Batman and Joker. And Ledger is just he's he's unhinged in this in this scene. It's fantastic. Every time Batman hits him, he just starts laughing harder, and it's just it's it's incredible. Okay, um, we'll start for this again. Twelve, super high, um, but it's a very solid scene. Um, not the scene I would pick from this. If I want to take, it, obviously, you pick a scene from Dark Knight. You're going to go with the Joker. Um, I go with Joker and Two Face in the hospital. Um, that is just such. I don't think there's a scene in comic book movies where in a comic book movies where you just encapsulate the two characters and what they believe better than that scene does um that said um and i think again most batman movies is the case but i think the villains are just so much more interesting than than batman is so when you bring batman in, it's just kind of goes down just a little bit um but no it's it's good and i i like i i'm a bigger fan of everything that surrounds this like i like when he's in the in the cell and he's clapping and then later when he's sitting on the ground and the other cop comes in and he's like you know how many friends of yours did I kill? Six. Um, is that that just that that stuff is so good? But this is a good scene too. Twelve is too high. Uh, everybody else on interrogation, Dark Knight. I'm just surprised that this would not be the scene that you would take. Uh, I guess I just hate Two Face in this movie. I think he's the one person in this movie I just don't like gravitate or love um, as an overall character. Um, but then, no, this is this is the scene that was on my list for a while, but I just, I've talked about it in nauseam in this community, so I just kept everything from Dark Knight basically off. It's just, it's, but it's the most incredible. It's basically Batman finally, like, meeting his full match, breaking exactly who he is and just not listening to anybody else and just busts through and just beats the shit out of him. And basically gets so fuzzy and mixes up the addresses, but don't doesn't mix up the address. It's just a brilliant theme overall. So twelve, I I consider I consider it in my top thirty at one point. So I, twelve is fine. I it's that good of a scene. Muted, Jake. Dumbass. Thank you. I just did a Cody Newberry. What the hell? If I ever come into power, I'm going to make there a rule where we stop talking about the Dark Knight. 
You mean if the hierarchy of power and multiplex changes? Changes, to where, yeah. <laughs> coming to YLS. Coming to YLS. Coming to YLS next year. There will be movies on the band not talked about. This, so this oh could boy. Be um, look, it's one of my favorite movies, so I love pretty much all the scenes. Weirdly, this one has never like resonated the same with me as it has with other people. I think it maybe is a little bit hand wavy in the way that Joker just kind of like comes out and says, "Here's what I'm trying to do. Like, um, you know, I'm going to make you kill. I'm make you do the one thing that you're you won't do." Um, so maybe that's the one thing about it for me. But you know, I, it's still a, a very good scene and Ledger's performance. I mean, obviously, I had the the pencil trick scene earlier, so I think extremely high highly of that performance. All right. Um, Cody, number 12. I'm not even ready for this. Like, I wish it was sick or he wasn't here and somebody else was at the house team. This just makes me sad. My number 12 is Singing in the Rain, the actual title song, Singing in the Rain. I... The joy and happiness is in one scene. The scene is it. I absolutely love the song. I love the, I love the design, the set design of it. I love Gene Kelly's just full on like. When I hear the song, I instantly the scene is the first thing like it. I can picture the whole thing in my head. Um, just the way they're able to shoot this in 1950 is just insane to me. I think it's absolutely brilliant. Um, Oh, but I guess I got a, I guess I got a stake on here. It's not the movie. It's the title song. So if you don't like the title song, then I don't think there's much that I can help you with. Like, I get the other stuff that doesn't, like, full click, but this is the one that is just absolutely just cinema. Cinema. So, yeah, title song, Singing in the Rain. I don't need to go much into detail without singing it. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. When I talking about the movie, you're talking about the scenes. And the music, well, the music, the most of the musical numbers are not my problem with this movie, and especially this one. Uh, this is a great scene, uh, great song, great choreography, great dancing. Um, I have no problem with this scene. Um, I would have, you know, top five movie musical numbers, uh, easy. Um, so if you have this, you have this above America, though, don't you? I do. That's rough. That's really yeah, rough. but um, it's it's still that's hard. probably my that's probably my misjudgment on placement because I do think America is better than Singing in the Rain. I guess it's just a nostalgia from the movie, so that's just maybe a yeah. Schedule. I mean, I, I I would say yeah, I I I am gonna ding you for having this higher, but I'm not gonna okay. ding you for having it so high because it's like I said, it's 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 a it's a great scene. Uh, everybody else on Singing in the Rain. I haven't great seen scene. it. I'm sorry. Um, yeah, no, it's it's great. Um, I do think I would have had an, a couple other scenes maybe from the movie. Um, I do think Good Morning is probably like my favorite song. And I also like seeing all of the interplay just between all of them, because obviously this is just um, Gene Kelly in this scene. Um, and then, you know, the make them laugh scene is also great. But you can't go wrong with this. Well, that's not true. You can. There's obviously one musical number you can pick that would be going wrong. But otherwise, you can't go wrong. It's an all time classic and earns its reputation. For the record, when I think of the song, I think of a clockwork orange. It's because I'm twisted. 
Of course. All right, you uh, nasty bastard. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Jake, you're number 12. My number 12. Um, I, re- I just wanted to check to see if I was going to be okay with my pick. So I looked at what uh, Kirk rated the movie on Letterboxd. He gave it three and a half stars. So I think I'm okay. That's um, five it stars. Is the, yeah. It is the processing scene from The Master. Um, absolutely, just a showcase of film, like acting, like Joaquin and PSH are giving maybe the best uh, performances of their entire career. That's my two favorite performances from both of them. Um, the way Joaquin just gets into the character of Freddie Quell through the scene, basically Lancaster Dodd is asking him a bunch of questions, the whole scene called the processing scene. And he asks some questions and throughout these questions, we are getting more and more into Freddie Quill as a character and the way that the way walking just goes through all these emotions, the way he just is sort of playing with it. Like he doesn't, he's not taking it serious and the way he just starts uh, answering questions without really any sort of thought about it. And just the way he sort of views himself in the, is really interesting of a, of a character study. Um, and then at the end, he just like unexpectedly farts. And then starts laughing, and then you have PSA just like this, the sound of an animal. Um, and then they end it, and it's like, well, I want to keep going. Like, let's keep going again. And then it's and then Lancaster's like, all right, we'll go again, but this time you cannot blink. You have to just any infringement, we go back to the beginning. You can't blink. And it gets even more and more personal. Like Lancaster starts asking him, have you had a sexual relationship with anyone in your family? And walking and Freddie's like, yes, I had one with my aunt. So like, how many times? Three times. He's like, are you regretting this? No, and it's just the way that he keeps building and he starts to get even more tense and the anxiety just starts building on him because he has to keep his eyes open while he's asking these like personal questions. And he's like, there's a point where he does blink and then he infringes as Lancaster says. He's like really like just slaps himself and like gets back into it. And just just the showcase of these two performances, the way PSH is so like understated and in control of the scene, the way walking just lashes out is just incredible stuff. And then you get the part where he talks about, like, I had, there's a girl I love named Doris. And it's like, why aren't you with him? He's like, I don't know. Like, I don't know. And he starts screaming. And just the whole scene, the way they play back and forth. And you just find out so much about this character and how much, like, had happened with his family. His dad died of alcoholism. His mom is in a loony bin. And it really, like, shows, like, the, uh, how much, like, uh, despair that the character has. Um, Just absolutely phenomenal uh, acting and, like it's the simplicity of the of the way of the scene and the way PTA frames each shot, I think is just incredible. It's one of my all time favorite scenes. It's number twelve. Um, I'm hoping it's not too high for uh, for you, Kirk, but it is uh, just a masterclass of acting. Um, yeah, yeah, I like the movie. Um, I think the movie's really good. Um, I think the scene is great. Um, just the the acting, uh, like you said. The way it's 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 uh, you know we're both fans of you know long takes just like it's it's not a single shot but it's a lot just just a long scene like just you know the two it's just that you know shot reverse shot but you know it just goes on forever and um, the way it's lit the way Joaquin is lit and how like the, mm. the, the darkness of his eyes um, and like you said how it starts out for him as a joke and how he's like just like just so much emotion so much you know so much going on and. Um, Hoffman is just like steady 
and just a real monotone and you just and you see that psychological breakdown the way he asks the questions and repeat the questions and then the answers start to change and um, he just knows where to hit him and that scene like he see he gets fired up starts hitting himself like he's setting hit you know Hoffman setting himself up as somebody who you know he has to prove himself to and uh and it just you you see the the dynamic that will follow through the rest of the movie is set up here like that kind of like that connection but also that like uh friction between two of them uh it's 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 a great just like like i said just just what are the like psychologically one of the best scenes i've ever seen just of like just figure just figured out exactly what makes somebody tick and just how to push the right buttons and you know Joaquin is, makes himself just such the perfect target for it. Um, so, no, this is a really good pick. I don't mind this in the top 15 at all. Uh, anybody else on uh, the master processing scene? I have brilliant scene. It. Brilliant. Brilliant. Um, again, some may disagree. Philip Seymour Hoffman, fantastic actor. Joaquin Phoenix, fantastic actor, including Joker. <laughs> including Joker. Um, uh, so... Yeah. Uh, they're both great, and they're both. And this scene is just brilliant. I should have put it on my list, to be honest. With you, but I haven't seen the master in a little bit. If anyone is out here saying that Philip Seymour Hoffman's not a great actor, they should probably be booted from the community. What if somebody saw Along Came Polly one time, and that was the only Philip Seymour Hoffman movie they ever saw? They'd have a stance. Shots, and he's just like, again, they probably is, don't like is, movies. Yeah. They would have a stance that he's not a good actor. They would have an argument. Mm-hmm. He's also stance, they don't like movies but um yeah no i've only seen this once it's not i mean i like every pta movie so i like it it's not high on my list i remember the scene just because of like its reputation um which i guess is a good thing but i don't really know you know remember enough to comment further than that the ferret is the best thing in one game poly Oh, Al- okay. Alec Baldwin's the best at Lucky Polly, but Hoffman's. That's all. How did we get here? You, <laughs> uh, Scott, number twelve. I used to know you. Okay, um, number twelve for me is. Uh, let me check. Oh, it's the best scene from any sports movie. It is Roy Hobbs homering into the lights from The Natural. Um. Yeah. So I mean. This is I. This movie's in my top 100. I love it. I understand it is flawed. It has like a lot of random side subplots and characters, and it goes on for kind of a long time. But I think because of that, that makes this last scene hit even harder because there's so much at stake, not just for Roy, but you know you have Glenn Close there and everything that's gone on with their relationship. You have the fact that like the team has to be saved and all of that stuff, and Wilford Brimley playing Pop, the manager. So there's so much at stake, and Barry Levinson does such a great job of building the the tension in this scene because, you know, he first he breaks his bat, right? He shatters Wonder Boy, the bat that like has been, um, you know, kind of his secret weapon this entire time. And obviously he's starting to lose his magic a little bit. He starts bleeding basically from where he got shot, like in the beginning of the movie. Um, you wonder, like, is he going to be able to do it? He has, a, you know, a new new bat now. And, you know again takes his time you know he like takes a picture to foul you know foul ball and then finally you know that crack of the bat and as soon as the crack of the bat happens that randy newman which is one of my favorite um scores of all time just kicks in and the ball just goes flying out you know slow motion into the lights it explodes um again the score is like blasting um 
everyone's going crazy again. It's all in kind of slow-mo. That shot um, where he rounds first base and you just see the lights like exploding uh, in the, you know, in the background and it's looks like fireworks like that. That shot was like the background of my computer for a long time because I love it so much. Caleb Deschanel, great cinematographer, shot the movie. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's such a, a beautiful scene, honestly. Um, and for somebody who you know is such a big sports fan like me, it really captures that like the magical moment when something totally unpredictable happens. Like you know, this the the biggest comparison for this would be like when Kurt Gibson hits his walk off home run in the World Series. Um, you know, with one leg on one leg, basically. Um, and you know, so you know that sports can produce those kinds of moments. So even though it's kind of a fantasy in the context of the movies, it makes you movie it makes you think of all the movie uh, the real moments in sports that have made you feel like that so um it never gets old for me i could watch it all you know every day yeah great scene i remember watching this as a kid like this was on cable all the time and like you know you have flashes of movies you watch when you're real small and you don't like remember details but i remember the lights exploding to that music and um it's yeah it's it's just it's just it's it's a great sports movie moment my only thing i would disagree with you is you know calling it unpredictable um because i feel like and again i've always known the end of this movie so maybe that has something to do with it but i feel like the 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 tone of this movie sets it up where like he he's not going to fail like i I think that's the character the The real events that like kirk gibson type thing yeah oh yeah definitely yeah 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 yeah, yeah. so yeah 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 it lends itself to that so um but yeah, I don't like. I mean, if you, yeah, if, I don't know if you have any more sports movie moments in your in your, on your list. I know. But this is uh, definitely the, the a top one. Uh, everybody else in the natural homeland. I haven't, I haven't seen, seen it. it. Yeah, I. It's not one that ranks really high for me, but this moment is like all time sports moment in film. Like the score. Can't wait to hear see my new outfielder hit him into the lights in at Finlay. Um, it's going to be a great deal. So yeah, so it's a, it's a good thing to stay out of last place in the ALEs. So. Shh. Oh, yeah. shut up, Central! <laughs> shut up, Central! <laughs> we will win the division now. We are we are poised. All right. Um, so we're uh, heading home, Jack. What is your number eleven? All right. Uh... Yeah, it's another fandom movie. I'm not going to lie to you. It's uh, no, it's the end. Well, that makes sense. It's, oh, I know exactly what it is now. <laughs> it's Snape's memories from Harry Potter and the Deathly Hallows oh, Part Two. Not what else. This moment breaks me every time. Uh, never before. Here's the thing: watching these movies, I hated Snape for a long time, just like I'm sure a lot of people did. Never before has a movie made me rethink uh, uh, my opinion of a character so quickly. Uh, this scene is beautiful. The way that uh, it reveals Snape's backstory and everything that uh, he's done, why he killed Dumbledore, why he did everything he did, uh, why he uh, treated Harry the way he did. It works so well. It completely recontextualizes the character. I 
this is a movie that I have a strong connection to uh, because uh, it's one of the movies that like early on made me fall in love with movies. Uh, but this scene is beautiful. It's incredibly sad. And Alan Rickman, that one line always went, went every time he says it tears. I, I get why it's not on anyone else's list. It will always rank high on one of my lists. I, I can't help but, I can't help but love this scene. Uh, this is the the this scene means so much to me. What am I about to say to you, Jack? Too high. Too high. <laughs> too high. Eleven. Way too high. Um. Yeah. I'll give you this. I think in retrospect, when you look over the whole series or saga, whatever you want to call it, I think Snape is one of the most interesting characters as far as just like where he's coming from and what he's doing and why he's doing it and what his motivations are. Um, so it's cool to get a pay this payoff of all at once, just, you know, getting his, you know, what, what made him tick and why he did what he did. Um, I don't have anything bad about this to say about the scene other than eleven is, is is crazy high. Like if you were to put this at like 80, 70, I'd be like, oh yeah, that's the, okay, that's your Harry Potter scene. I, I'm fine with that. Um, but I mean, have you had any other Harry Potter scenes yet? No. So I'm assuming your top ten is not going to be a bunch of Harry Potter. So this this for the whole the whole thing. That's that's wow. That's a pick. Uh, everybody else on uh, Deathly Hell is Snape's memories. It's a good scene. It's all right. Yeah. Cody. Scott. <laughs> what? <laughs> Mexican wow. standoff. Okay. Um, I have only seen the movie once, uh, which is when it came out. It was. It's not. Been, it's you know never been one of my favorite Wizarding World movies. I should go back to it though because it's been. 11 years now um so i don't remember the scene super well but i do love snape as a character i mean i think one of the strong points of the franchise is how well fleshed out the ensemble is um not just you know your main character main couple characters never snape's the best in the entire series that's always my favorite i've always loved him throughout he's the he's the he's mean to him perfect what you need he's the yeah, you know, he yells at the students. I I can encourage that. Um, <laughs> overall, um, I just I I was gonna I was considering it, but overall, I love the series, so it's really hard to just pick and choose. This is the best, probably one of the best moments from it. But yeah, too high, Jack. Just too high. Okay. All right, Cody. Uh, what's your number eleven? Uh, we've talked about a movie from. Um, we've talked about this movie before on my list, but it's the highest it goes. Uh, it's the baseball scene from Good Will Hunting. Oh, um, yeah, like <laughs> it, it, it describes he's talking about my ballpark, like at the end of the day, he's talking about a moment from my baseball. So, already there's like a personal, like, emotion. I've seen this clip my entire life um but overall he's talking 
it's one of the best scenes in this movie because, and the reason why I like it the most is because one, it has the baseball connection, but two, he connects with Damon, like on a personal level, like, Hey, I don't know how to get to this kid. Uh, I'll touch where I'll poke where I think it might and sports and starts describing the home run and hitting it down the left field line. And wow. 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 God, I would have been crazy. Like, why? I wasn't there. What? You had tickets to those games and you didn't go. No, I was out. But you should have seen her. Like, that's what he says to her. He's like, you should have seen her. She was beautiful. Like, that is like a, that's a human connection to that moment because he doesn't know how to connect to people on a human level like that. And he describes to her, he's like, I gave up, like, sports history right here. Like, you, you, the kid... Growing up hearing about it, but not seeing the moment himself, but knows everything about it and sees the clip and plays in your head. Like somebody can talk about a sports moment. Maybe you weren't there, but you can, if you've seen it, you can picture it back and be like, can you imagine being there? And he's like, no, I wasn't there. But she, you should have seen her. Like it's such an impactful scene because he gave up that one thing for the girl just trying to connect to her, connect to him. I think it was an absolute scene. And again, it's Williams. Giving a scene like um, a performance is just unmatched. Like, I think he is like one of the greatest. Like, when he did this performance, I think it was one of the greatest acting performances of all time. Like, I think he's absolutely incredible. So, yeah, that's my scene. Yeah, like you said, it's uh, your ballpark. And, you know, coming from, you know, a city that defines itself by its sports moments, you know. Mazeroski's walk off the immaculate reception, you know, knowing that stuff. And, you know, there, the idea of, you know, hearing him, you know, their excitement for this is, I, I understand, you know, completely relate to that. And I also. Tintonum Holmes catching out of the end zone for the touchdown. Like, exactly. Um, and uh, when you, you know, I relate to that, but also, you, you as soon as he says I was there, you, you understand exactly what he gave up, like you said, Cody. And not just that he gave it up, but he doesn't really seem to care. He's like, oh, I was there, you know, because he realized, you know, and again, it's a it's a, it's a great uh, metaphor for what Will's going through because, you know, there's he doesn't have, like you said, that he doesn't have those human connections. And, you know, it's about do you want these individual moments for yourself or do you want something you know that you can latch on to for the rest of your life um so yeah it's 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 just a great scene of you know the way it's cut where like they're up and like you know they're 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 imitating they're doing like the arms spinning around and they cut to the you know the actual footage of the game um is really well done and just like you know it builds up and goes up i wasn't there um great scene um i you know i don't think anybody loves this movie as cody does so i won't say how much i like it but um yeah, this is a definitely top twenty type scene. Everybody else on the uh, Goodwill Hunting baseball scene. This was uh, so close to making my list. Uh, ultimately, the other scene that I picked won out, but great pick, Cody. I can't complain. Uh, fantastic scene. Rewatched this movie a few weeks ago, Michael and Paul. That was awesome. That was great. And the scenes, the story is great. The way Robin Williams just delivers it. Uh, it's it's great. You only get to see about a girl. I mean, I don't know what the feeling he's describing is like because my teams just don't win. Um, but it is what we I didn't imagine. know for a while. Yeah, <laughs> we didn't know for a while. 
it, it is what I would imagine uh, it feels like to, to experience that moment. It's probably my favorite scene in the moment in the movie just because of the relatability of it for me. Um, but also, I mean, I like the reveal, obviously, again, that he wasn't there. But I just have a hard time believing that Robin Williams is a guy who likes baseball. He just does not strike me as a guy who, even in the first place, would be able to tell you about a baseball game with any sort of believability. But, I mean, maybe that's why he's a great actor. He called sports ball. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You got Josh Bell. Championships could start coming. That's right. The road starts here. <laughs> uh, Jake. Number 11. Number 11. I have a question for everyone. Can a scene be can a scene be scary if there's no blood in the scene? Can you yes. feel terrified? Are we going to talk about Venom? No, no. Oh, jeez. No. Monsters. <coughs> I'm talking about the most effective horror scene in a PG-13 movie ever. I'm talking about the hospital scene from Spider-Man 2. <laughs> I mean, you could say whatever you want about the movie. I think collectively as a as a people, we agree that this is one of the best sequences in any superhero movie ever. Thus the fact that Raimi decided to create a horror scene inside his superhero trilogy, I think is really great. And that just plays to Raimi's strengths of making things uh of playing with genres in in his movies. Um, by we all know the scene. Like it's the arms, it's why Doc Ock is a terrifying villain in the movie is that because of his arms, the way that he is just not even conscious, it's just his arms killing all these uh, doctors and nurses. And it is really effective, the fact that there is absolutely no music playing during the scene. You have a little bit of brevity at the opening. The guy says, anybody here take shock class? You see one of the arms slightly move and then stop, and he keeps going and then bang, it just turns into full-on anarchy. And it's terrifying the way that we don't see what's happening for most of the doctors. It's just sort of the the, the thought process of what happens after. Like you have the one uh, one nurse just her nails just digging into the wall, into the floor as she is being dragged across. Like that is absolutely effective. Um, you got the guy trying to cut one of the arms with a chainsaw, which is a nice little uh, callback to Evil Dead. Um, but it is so effective just how like terrifying the scene is. I remember watching this in the, in the cinema and just being like, this is so effective. Just I felt something from a villain and the fact that we get more of an emotional connection. But I absolutely love the fact that when the arms are just dragging and moving all these corpses and all the doctors, we just get that one close-up of, of Octavius just not even conscious how he's just there and it's just the arms doing all the damage. Um, sets up a, an, an effective villain um, and a wonderful, wonderful horror scene in this uh, superhero movie. <sighs> you can say what you want about the movie. You have to admit this scene is incredible. It's not bad. I'm That is what, what I hate. Bad. I'm not a big fan of when a director is doing ip and like it's like hey look it's me me like, either a director doing ip i'm also not a fan i just no it's just like i mean and Ravi does like he has like the car and he has the chainsaw and he has what's wrong with that though Gamble. like he's making it just, more I'm, I'm not i'm not i'm not here to be reminded you made evil dead i'm here for a spider-man movie um so again no i'm not gonna say the scene is terrible 
I think it's ridiculous you have it at number eleven. But and I mean I have issues with the way the arms work in this movie, like the fa- and I, I know it makes him a sympathetic villain, but the fact that he just basically under mind control is not my favorite thing about persuaded, it. manipulated. Mind control um, is too big of a word. Maybe. Um, but yeah, like I'm, I'm not going to sit here and crap over the scene and say it's terrible. It's, 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 it's an interesting scene. It's, it's visually interesting. Um, but I, I like if you had had this at like ninety three. I would okay. never have that ninety three. Eleven is super thing. high. And I'm going to ask you. I'm going to ask you. Spoil. Is this your last Spider Man scene? Uh, for this episode, yes. Okay. Well. Okay. Uh, everybody else on the hospital scene, Spider Man too. <laughs> It's great. Um, I I mean, I do like the fact that he can't really control it because it just makes it a more interesting character. But I do love Molina's like look at the end after it's all gone down. And he's like, it's like simultaneously, like he's like horrified, but also like he's kind of excited about the possibilities that this power might hold for him. So it's a great like balance of emotions that he's able to show there. Uh, yeah, this uh, this scene is great, Jake. Not like it's probably my like five or six from this movie that I would say are better uh, than than the scene. But I had forgotten about this scene for a long time because my parents always skipped it when I was a young child. So when I was in the hospital, I rewatched this movie. <laughs> God, and this happened and i was not okay for a little bit after that but no the good scene wouldn't make my list freaking amazing scene great choice i think this one doesn't get enough credit overall like the way he's able to like tie a character that i like grew up reading to like a horror scene straight out of like practical effects and not having control like them having a mind of their own almost brilliant it's absolutely a brilliant scene i love it I still think you can put X2 and Spider-Man 2 up there as like some of the best comic book movies that has ever come out. And this is one of those scenes. It's brilliant. 11, probably, it's not on my list, obviously, but when you bring it up, I I literally refused to put any Raimi stuff because I knew I didn't have to waste my time. So, good choice. All right, Scott, close us out here. You're number 11. It's time, Robbie. They knew, and they let it happen. Two kids. It's time, it's time when I say it's time. Um, yeah, oh, it's the oh, new yeah. scene. I was. I think Jack had it earlier. Um, as I've said before, I well, I think this scene gets wrongfully maligned as like, oh, this is the best example of like overacting. I mean, this was on the rewatchables. This was like, oh, but they knew a word for overacting, but it you have to look at it in the context of the movie because again, the movie itself is so much more understated and doesn't have any moments like this. And it's all kind of building up to this scene. And this is the point where they finally think they've done it right. They finally think we have, you know, we've gotten enough, we've got the story. We're going to, you know, bring them down. And Robbie, who's like the experienced veteran editor is just like, no, we have one priest. We have one priest. We're not running the story until, you know, we get more confirmation on the other priests. And of course, you know, then Mark Ruffalo, Mike Rosendis goes on his, you know, his diatribe here. And it's, you know, it's powerful because Mark Ruffalo is giving such a strong performance. Um, 
in the whole movie, but in the scene too. But crucially, at the end of what he says, Robbie like takes a pause and he's like, "Are you finished?" And that's a perfect moment for me again of grounding the scene of like, no, this is not really how we talk, right? This is not how we do things. We don't yell at each other. We don't go on these big speeches. Um, and so when he says, are you finished? It's like, are you done with your like tantrum that you've thrown here? Now are we actually going to like try and, you know, do some work. And um, Mike's like, yeah, I am. And just walks out. So in a vacuum, maybe it's like the Oscar clip moment, but Again, in the context of the movie, I think this is actually the perfect example of when to use your Oscar clip moment because they built up the movie. They've done a, such a great job of establishing the characters, being so understated, resisting that moment for so long of the movie that I think it really earns it when we get there. And this is the only scene in the movie that's that's like that, really. Um, so I think it's a perfect scene from a perfect movie. Who else had this? Yeah. Uh, I had yeah, this at uh, 34, and it's it could honestly go higher. Uh, Rewatching this movie a few months ago with a few people uh, was it, it was incredible because I, I I hadn't seen this movie in a few years, and rewatching it made me remember exactly why I loved it the first time I saw it. Uh, Ruffalo is giving an incredible performance uh, i echo absolutely everything scott said and i think the are you finished line is the great is the best way to end the uh, end the scene uh mark ruffalo just yeah uh, yeah i think i am and then he walks out just brilliant uh i wasn't expecting to talk about this until next week so i didn't end up re-watching the scene but no uh honestly could be higher on my list if i redid it today yeah, um, I've talked about just like this kind of movie isn't exactly my thing, but the scene, like Scott said, because that's when I watch movies, like, is this, this is the kind of thing I'm looking for? So when you finally get to it, um, it's a solid payoff. And yeah, it, it is the Oscar clip, but I mean, it, there's there's a reason for that. Um, I think it's it's kind of the, the, and I love how they build it up like, He's like, like Scott said, like, this is like the, in, in, in any other movie, like this would be the big speech where he's rallying everybody. And the guy's just like, are you done? You know? And now it's like, it, it brings it back like to the reality. And like, it's one of the, the just the, the subject matter, like that you, you, you don't win this, like the damage has already been done. You know, the yeah. lives have already been destroyed. You, there's, there's no victory here. Um, you know, it's a Peric victory if there's one at all. Um, so there's no like rah, rah, rah. It's just like, okay, we got to go finish finish the work um so again um not a, a movie that i hold as high esteem as everybody else but again i'm not i'm not going to tell you it shouldn't be top 20 uh everybody uh well who didn't have this uh jake and cody um when the oscar nominations are, are announced then that gives me a list of like what best picture films i have to see for the for the ceremony I remember for 2015 having not seen Spotlight and knowing it got all the Oscar nominations. And as a little game, I with and I do this with all the movies with acting nominations. I try to guess what the Oscar clip is going to be, and I remember getting it right on the fucking dot for uh, Ruffalo's uh, <laughs> clip being that they knew and they let it happen. Um, which I I feel like it's fun to to mop the scene. I guess um, it is a great scene. Like to be completely honest, I just love making fun of the scene because. It's funny to me, um, but I also think the movie's fine. Um, 
I, I do wish that I liked the movie more, but I have sort of a vendetta against it for beating The Revenant for Best Picture. So that's just a personal selfish sort of feeling that I have. Uh, if, whenever I get over that, it'll be fun to rewatch this movie and see if it's uh, there in my eyes. Go eat a beef liver or something and cry about it in the snow. Oh, because it's deserved everything. It should deserve more. It deserved I the, can't cry in the snow because there's no snow here. It deserved. Uh, uh, fuck, it still pisses me off that Mark Rylance fucking won the award for. Would it help? Would it help? Fuck off. Um, like these guns and all. Well, never mind. I actually, don't watch that movie. He's not good. Um, uh, super. This is. A, I picked the other scene, but this is clearly the scene from Spotlight. I, I think there's also another scene that we didn't bring up. But when Bryce, uh, oh, what's his name, Darcy James. When he runs down the street and looks, yeah, when he runs down the street and like looks at the, I think that's an incredible scene. But this scene, when he reads the newspaper and like, like it's, it's, it's such a thing. It's like you need somebody to oversee somebody to be higher up. And that's what Michael Keaton basically does because we're not ruining what we have. I understand you're pumped, you're fired up. We have to, we have what we need, but we need more just to make sure it's ironclad and it's proof. But he's like, yeah. You're pissing, like, you're so mad. You, we've always had a boss. We always had somebody that tells us something that we just completely disagree with. Like, why can't we just run now? Because if we're late on this, <clears throat> it's such an impressive scene. He is such a good actor. And in this movie, it's absolutely brilliant. I love this movie. I love, yeah, because when he's like, um, because he's, he's like, you finished? Like, just when he looks at him and he goes, ah, we need to run it now. I'll run it when we when I say we'll run it. Like it's just like, yeah. But like it's such like a because he says it's true. Like we all grew up in this area. It could have been any of us. Yeah. It, it had, luckily it wasn't. But how many more are there out there? You have to do something. Like it's such an important story. Again, so overseen for so long. Um, I didn't think this movie had any rewatchability. I was so wrong. I haven't told myself every month that. You don't need to watch Spotlight this month, but I want to watch Spotlight this month. So it's great. So great choice. I again, I knew you were going to have it on here when I knew you were on the panel. I didn't waste a spot on it, but it it would have been my like top top twenty two. It's great. Okay, uh, that's the show. I got to name winners here. Um, first place is Cody. Uh, just way too. I mean, he had Inglorious Bastards, he had Just for All, he had Raiders, uh, Green Mao, uh, Jaws. That Raiders uh, pick, I'll tell you. Just, just too <laughs> much, just too much there to overcome. Um, the other three are close. Um, that's what I was thinking the entire time it was happening. Super, I was like, this would be close. tough on my end. Yeah. Um, you know who I think is in second place? I think it's Jake. No. No way. Oh, wow. Yeah. Jake, I mean, oh, really? Jake's, Jake has three legitimate top 10 all time scenes on the list. He got Good, Bad, and Ugly. He's got Whiplash and he's got The Master. Mm. Um, Scott and Jack just didn't match, match up. And there's, wow. there's nothing, I mean, there's stuff that's too high. Everybody has stuff too high. On it. There's stuff that's way too high on Jake's list. Yeah, I was going to say, if you're going to say that for me, have to, yeah, it's everyone yeah. else. Nothing that's, no, nothing that's completely terrible um, that I, I'm like mad about. Uh, Oh man, this is this is like one of the hardest ones I've had to do. I think, uh, I think Scott's third. Yeah, um, Kill a Mockingbird. 
uh, Pelham one two three spotlight natural just a lot of great like he doesn't hit the highs that Jake did but um, he's it's his list pretty steady and then uh, Jack is a very very close fourth uh, Amadeus was strong but everything else on your list Awakenings is good but just kind of everything else is kind of middling um, you know like you said it was Phantom heavy and all that stuff was was really high um, so again. Close on the bottom three there, but that's the uh, order for tonight. Shaking things up a little bit. Uh, we will see how things go next week. Next week's the top ten. Um, everybody will we'll talk about it. Everything. <laughs> everything will be, everybody will be talking about everything. We'll be here for a while, um, but it'll be fun. Um, I'm very glad I'm not working that day. <laughs> we'll see. We, we kept it. Cl- I did not when we this show started. I don't think we we're anywhere near three hours, and we're just over. So good job, I guess. Um, we'll almost definitely go longer next time. Um, but it'll be worth it. It'll be a good show. Going to close things out strong. See you then. Have a good night. You're not going to intimidate me. I'm entitled to my opinion. Drunk, get angry. Come on, break the lousy cup. Ow, I hurt my arm. Not expect everybody. Everybody. I'm going there soon, you know. Is that so? Where are you going? Uruguay. Well, you go Uruguay and I'll go mine.